I was 14 and I lived in like people called a trap house. You know, like we sold crack out of this house. I was 14 years old and I was like, I was as big as I am now when I was 14. Right. Kind of a big, I'm like six, four, like I wasn't, I'm like two thirty now. I wasn't that filled out then, but I was still a big kid, but I would throw people out. Like if they ran out, when they ran out of money, you know, and wanted more crack and, Jesus, and they didn't 14. have, yeah, they didn't have stuff to trade or whatever. They'd be like, Bachman, get them out. So I'd, I'd throw these people out. This is the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. This week's interview is with the owner of a company here in St. Louis called Strange Donuts. And you may be asking yourself, why would I listen to this? What am I going to find out from this? But I can tell you that of any interview I have ever heard in my life, I have never heard a guest be as open and as candid as my guest Jason Bachman was on this week's show. It was absolutely unparalleled, and I found myself being grateful and feeling a sense of joy as he was willing to open up and talk about things that most people will never talk about, not only because they'll never have these experiences, but that even if they did, it would be really tough for them to share these things. But you can tell from the very beginning that Jason is an extraordinary and very different sort of guy. He not only owns a donut shop, but he actually has an internationally recognized furniture company and is a beloved member of the St. Louis community. But as that opening clip showed you, this is not something that came easy or natural. He had to figure it out and learn it all along his hero's journey. So what you are about to hear in this interview is one of the most extraordinary hero's journey stories I have ever heard. I am really excited for you to listen to this. As we head into this interview, I want to let anybody that is interested in agriculture and knows anyone at all in college right now that I'm going to be giving a talk at South Dakota State University uh, between October 11th and the 13th. Uh, I believe I'll be giving one on the 12th. The convention is the Collegiate Farm Bureau, South Dakota State University, and the group is a group of young people that decided we want to have a convention put on by college students for college students. We want to talk about what we've learned about communicating about agriculture online, about how to talk about genetic engineering and pesticide use and animals, all sorts of issues that are important to consumers. How can these farm kids get better at explaining their point of view. So they are holding a conference. It is for collegiate students all over the Midwest. I know they're bringing in people from animal science and plant science. And so if you know a kid that you think would benefit from growing their network, meeting a whole bunch of interesting and driven people, and really developing their skills in agriculture and communications, go check out their Eventbrite page. I will leave a link to it in the show notes here on the podcast and also up on my website. I really hope you check this out. I think this is one of the most interesting and intriguing conventions that I've been invited to, so I think it'll be a great time. Without further ado, I'm going to head over to the Jason Bachman interview. I should point out, if you didn't catch from the beginning, that this has some pretty heavy topics in it. So if you've got kids in the car... Um, after 
after the first maybe 10 to 12 minutes, um, probably not appropriate uh, for just uh, a lot of young ears. But uh, for you adults, buckle in. This is going to be an adventure. Not only will you hear about his hero's journey, but it should help you think about how to be a better person, how to be a better leader, and uh, what you want out of, out of your life. I think Jason does a great job there. So we'll talk with you later. Jason Bachman, welcome to the podcast. What's up? Glad to be here, man. Good Thanks for having you. me, dude. It was uh, great to run into you. I I know who you are. You are the guy that runs Strange Donut, mm-hmm. and I've seen you in the gym for low these many years. And uh, but we hadn't seen each other in a while. Ran into one another, right? Started talking, and you told me a statistic that blew my mind. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought, man, I ought to bring him on the podcast because if you can pull that statistic off, there is something to learn by talking with you. And the statistic was how what the percentage of turnover that you have at your donut store. Yeah, so less, we have less than 2% turnover per year. That's right? insane. It's crazy. No, it's it's... I think about it all the time. I'll still think sometimes, like on the way this morning, I was thinking, man, why do people work for me? You know, <laughs> like in the... Uh, you know, there's opportunities all over the place and, um, and people could go, I mean, like we hire, um, and employ like bright, nice, outgoing, attractive people, you know, who have real depth, depth to them. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying attractive, like physically attractive. I'm saying like, you want to be around these people, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so the, um, I'm like, man, why do they stay with me? You know? And I, I think about it a lot and I read about it a lot. Not, I mean, not, until recently, I, I, that's a lie. I don't read about it a lot, but we started doing this. Um, I got picked by WashU. I went to WashU and I got picked by their business school. They're doing a case study. All the incoming business students do a case study on me and strange donuts. And that was one of the things that they teased out a few months ago was that, you know, in quick service restaurants, um, turnover is a, a roughly 130%, almost 140. So the crew that you start with will have turned over three times by the end of that year, you know? And, um, so I'm like, man, we're really doing something right. And I've known that we've been doing something right for a long time with the people that stay with us. And a lot of people I talk to when we hire them, I, you know, I'm like, look, if you're, if you're working here in a couple of years from now and, um, we haven't created a new opportunity for you. Like, I don't want you to stay here. Like come here, learn what you need, get what you need and go. Or, you know, it puts the pressure on me to expand and create opportunities for those people. So, so, yeah. uh, strange donut for people in St. Louis is mm-hmm. an iconic brand. It's one <laughs> that almost everybody around here would know, but for anybody that is not familiar with strange donut describe what you are and and how you came about yeah so we're a donut shop we have four locations in st louis we've done some stuff outside of st louis um, outside of the country also but we're a donut shop we're open seven days a week we do all kinds of crazy donuts we do a lot of just classic stuff um, but our menu consists of you know 12 different options some drinks and stuff a lot of merchandise um, you can buy our merchandise online strangedonuts.com check it out and um, we do collaborations with, you know, big brands. We just did something with Anheuser-Busch. We've done stuff with Japanese clothing companies, bands. And when you um, say that, you're describing like, we make a cool donut that is unlike anything you're going to find. Yeah, in so so the, the, the products themselves, like the donuts that you consume, um, they might be, you know, a grilled cheese or they might be... Um, you know, a caviar custard that we did with the niche food group, right? It could be anything. And so some of the stuff is like, 
aspirational, you know, like we, we did something with like specifically we did with a niche food group, which is a, a, a you know, they have places in Nashville, uh, mostly focused in St. Louis, uh, but they do Gerard events, Gerard craft. Yeah. They do stuff all over the world, literally. Right. And so, you know, a 17 year old, like the, like the line that weekend was funny. There'd be like a kid smelling like weed standing right next to, you know, people that came from the symphony that are in tuxes. Right. <laughs> and so it was like, for those people that are in the tuxes, it's like, man, I want to, I want to be a part of the, the cool thing, you know? And then for the kid, it's like aspirational. Like, man, I can't drop 250 bucks on dinner, but I can go for five bucks to strange donuts and get this caviar custard donut. And it's aspir it's a fake Louis Vuitton bag. You know what I mean? Like I, I can get this now. I will have that when, you know, and I think you were just getting started when I first moved. So I moved here in like 2012, I mm-hmm. think. And I think you would, were you like 2013. So we started doing some pop-up stuff, um, towards the end of 2012 and then 2013, October 11th, actually we opened our first store, but we did done pop-up shops leading up to that. I remember thinking there's no way you could keep up this level of creativity (laughs) and I was totally wrong. (laughs) Dude, it's fun. I mean, you got to put yourself in, you like, we throw the ball way out there. Right. And I think that there's like, uh, some, like right now, honestly, I feel like I'm slacking with the stuff that we're doing. I mean, it, it was just a month ago, I think two months ago, we did a collaboration with, with Anheuser Busch. Right. I heard you did one with, uh, Charlie with Hot Becker, Charlie Hot just Charlie. this past weekend. Yeah, dude, he's the he homie. Did he tell you that uh, he, t- he texted me, he said, Hey man, I heard you're going to be on the podcast. And he talked about being a priest. I've known him for a couple of years, I think. Yeah. Dude. He's in the priesty boys. He, uh, band. he was, he was, <laughs> I, he was in a priesty boys band. I don't know that. <laughs> That's what he told me that. And he quit a week after, uh, the priesty boys, um, which sounds weird to say out loud, the priesty boys. But. He started the path towards seminary. And yeah, so yeah. yeah. So his podcast just ran the week before. Okay. So yeah. um, he, he, that one's wild. Funny, dude. He's a good guy. But the, uh, the, the Anheuser-Busch, we did that like a month and a half ago, right? We had merchandise released. They tweeted about it. You know, it's seen internationally. We're shipping shirts to Japan. What do you, how do you make an Anheuser-Busch <clears throat> donut? So I came up with, um, there's another brand here locally that I won't talk about, but like they were, um, not that we're not friends, just whatever. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or be sure. weird. No, no beef here. Right. So like I said, Hey, they had had some trouble recently PR stuff. And I just said, I was like, man, maybe we can help them out. I'm like, do you guys want to, we'll make a glaze out of your beer. Do you guys, we're making some glaze out of beer. Do you guys want to be a part of it? And the yeast in the beer can replace some of the yeast in the donuts when we bake it. So it tastes differently. It's a little, you know, hoppy. Oh, and, that's really clever. Right. Yeah. So the, uh, they said, not now. And I walked in, we're doing a photo shoot right then. And I said, get that, get that out of here. Right. And I said, go next door and buy some Bush. Right. So I'm like, we bought some Bush beer and then I, you know, tweeted a little picture about it. And then AB, like the marketing team said, (laughs) Hey, why don't you come in? So, wow. I went met with them, dude. And then, you know, and those are the big, that is big that dogs. Is huge. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool. I mean, that was awesome. And that like, and honestly, like, um, so that happened. And so some of it's, I mean, opportunity through motion, you know what I mean? Staying consistent. A lot of people bring ideas to us. And, um, but I feel like, so that just happened. I think a lot of people might hang their hat on that, you know, like for the year, you know, Oh, we got a B and, and I'm like bored now, you know, I'm like, man, what is next? And it's always like, what's next. And I think that's like a blessing and a curse that I feel like I'm that way is like, I don't know. I talked to a counselor, dude, you know, I went and talked to a counselor. I was like, man, we won like, I won like 
you know, like a life, lifetime achievement award, right? I my my daughter was born, she's healthy. I like closed this big deal. I got a bunch of money. I won all these awards for our products. And I'm like, man, I should be happy. I should feel happy or like fulfilled and I'm not, you know. And you know, you are the third person to come on here and say like I I'm bored. Really? And and all three of them have all, all three of you have been extraordinary like have accomplished things that other people dream about mm -hmm. you know, getting millions of subscribers on youtube or you know building up a national brand and i i think that this is an interesting conundrum of of really driven people which mm -hmm. is what what goal could you be striving towards that would allow you to feel progress because progress is the thing that right. we all love mm -hmm. that that is fulfilling i don't know and i've thought about it i've 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 started saying like for a long time I will like accomplish something or get some money or get some accolades. And I'm like, when I get there, I will do this with those assets. Right. And I keep pouring it back into what I want to do. Right. Like, so I said, you know, um, I have a Rolex, right? I have this watch and it's tight and I wanted it forever. I grew up as a Hoosier. And if you're not from St. Louis, a Hoosier is basically means white trash, right? So I grew up like, you know, windows kicked in my house, broke down Camaro in the front yard. Really? Like, 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 like I would never textbook. <laughs> I know nobody does, but like textbook Hoosier, dude. And the, um, I was locked up a lot. I got tried as an adult for some stuff when I was like 14 years old. And, um, well, you can't just glaze over that. What'd you do? Oh, a bunch, dude. So, some of the stuff I like a bunch of stuff. So most of it was like drugs and guns. And, um, I got, uh, some of my friends were involved in like, uh, some shootings and stuff and robberies and the, uh, so you weren't just like, Oh, we're smoking cigarettes out back by the alley and mom and dad don't like it. it oh, it was like real. Yeah. Trouble. Like legitimately dude, most of my friends are, are like dead or in prison. Right. So like sometimes I get mad at myself for not being grateful, you know, like, man, Think of where you could be. You're so blessed to be where you are. I have this awesome life. I have a beautiful wife and kids and, you know, a nice house that I never thought I'd live in, you know, and I'm like, and I have to remind myself and really focus on, on gratitude. And then when I don't have it, I feel I get, I, I'm like, turn that inward. I'm mad at myself for not being grateful, which is so counterproductive, you know, it's stupid, but yeah, man, I, uh, what do you think is the difference between you and your friends that didn't make it? Some of it's, I think some of it is like grace, honestly, you know, I think that some of it, I, um, I'll tell you the story and I don't, I don't ever tell this story. Like I, a few people know it. Some of the people that work with me know it, but I got tried as an adult for some stuff like, uh, again, drugs and guns and stole a car. I did a robbery. The people were home. Right. So I'm like, a, I mean, like now I think back about it. I'm like, I was a child, you know, I was a kid and some of it, um, like political, I mean, whatever, I don't want to like go off some crazy tangent about this stuff, but like had my name been Antoine, you know what I mean? I'd probably be, you know, in, in prison for 30 years, you know, like the stuff that I did, but I did a bunch of stuff. And then my, I had a public defender who said, uh, you know, you're going to get 10 years. Right. And I was like, all right, isn't there, there's like a plea deal though. Right. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's the deal, you know? And so I was going to do 85% of the time. And he said, 
Because, you know, when you have a violent offense, like a lot of people think, oh, you go to prison or whatever, and then you're out in a couple months. But it just doesn't work like that. So for some people, it does. For some people, you do 15% of your time. So you get 10 years, you're going to do a year and a half, right? Not a big deal. And the um, I was locked up like two and a half years, but I got um, 10 years. And um, my public defender, I was doing like drugs, narcotics, right? And he was like, um, you know, if you take this habit into prison, then um, you're never going to get out, you know? So like if you were, you know, shooting dope or smoking crack or whatever, like in prison, you're going to reoffend while you're there. You know what I mean? You're going to get caught with drugs you're gonna do crime to get more drugs, you know, whatever. And you'll just never get out. And so I, he said, you know, not that it's going to lessen your sentence, but you should, you need to go get help before you go in. I ended up going into a treatment center. I, and, um, I ended up getting cleaned up. I got out. I, so you go to, I went to, I'd already been to sentencing where they said, you know, 10 years. And then you go back and that's when you go away. Right. So when I went back to get taken away, I gave everything away that I had, which wasn't much, but the, um, I gave everything away. I'm like, hug my friends and family. I'm like, all right, bye. You know, I'll see you in a decade. And, um, I walked in the court and the judge looked at me. He's like, Mr. Bachman, he'd seen me several times before. Some of the stuff was kind of high profile stuff that happened. It was on the news. I mean, it's crazy stories, dude. But the um, you can Google it if you want. There was a shootout and then like a minivan. I'm not laughing about it. I just it's so crazy. My friends jumped. I mean, this out, is totally out of this shocking because like you're the happy, nice lifter at the gym. Oh, People are like, hey, <laughs> hey Jason, man, Jason, how are you? Good to see you, dude. I'll talk. About, I think I think some. I'll, we could talk about that too. But like. My friends jumped out of this minivan and smashed through a blockbuster video, right? And everybody got away. I ended up getting caught the next day. But I ended up um, um, going into court and the the judge, you know, Mr. Bachman, I said, yeah, and he's like, there's something different about you. And I was like, uh, you know, okay. And um, he called up the public defender. They had a little talk and he just said, I'm going to suspend. I've never done this. I've never seen this done. I'd already been found guilty. I'd already been sentenced. And he said, I'm going to, um, but I was out on bond. I bought it out for 400 bucks. It's a sad, crazy story too. But the, um, but I, um, uh, went, uh, he said, I'm going to suspend this. I'm throwing this case out. And he said, if you, if I see you for a traffic ticket, you're getting your 20 years, which was my original sentence. You're getting 20 years. And, um, I'm like 18, 19. Whoa. Yeah. He's like, you're getting your 20 years. And, um, and then I just stood there and he was like, go. And I was like, I don't have a ride, (laughs) you know? And so I just, I ended up walking like 15 miles to get home, but just thinking like head spinning, like, man, what just happened? You know, I was fully prepared. That truly is grace. That's, that's mercy, dude. Yeah. That's from the highest and i think about it i'm like man i remember thinking then like this shot won't be wasted on me you know i had friends that were even younger than me that got you know they went and i didn't snitch on anybody or there was none of that you know it was just boom i don't know the judge saw a change in me and um and i and i left there and i was like i felt so lucky and like this shot won't be wasted on me. And I think that for a long time 
it was like me against the world was my feeling. Right. And some of this has subsided. Like I'm like happy go lucky feeling grateful guy. But like, I'm like, I will, I'm so competitive, you know, I'm like, I will kill anybody. You know what I mean? To like, uh, to advance like what we have and for my team and just for me. And for a long time, I felt so alone and ashamed of that past, you know, I mean, I ended up like going to school in China, right? I got in this, this budding scholars program and I'm over there with all these Ivy league kids, right? It's me where John, John's Hopkins university. And, um, like my, before this, my reading and math were like a, a quick school in eighth grade. It was like a sixth grade level. I'm taking like super basic math. And now I'm over there because I started speaking Chinese, right? Because of, again, some crazy story. And this, I know this podcast goes on for a while. So like we Take can just talk. Take all the time you need, right? man. This is So great. this is this kind is, of tight. I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah. So like, but any questions you want to know, I'll tell you, dude. But I ended up getting into this program, like right, not long after that, I started like doing what I could to pour good stuff into my head. And I started like listening to M- NPR, right? Because I saw this girl, I'm like, what do you, she was beautiful and cool and smart, you know? And I'm like, what do you do for fun? And and, and whatever, she's talking about NPR. I'm like, well, I'll probably, let me try to listen to NPR, you know? And it's like, I went to this interview it's a totally different experience if you've been listening to music and whatever talk radio and now all of a sudden they're talking about the BBC and international news right. and all kinds of shit. It, I mean, it blows you away when you first touch it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there's so the world is so much bigger than me and my problems, you know, and and I ended up uh, before I went into this interview, which is like this panel of people. Um, like one was from Harvard one was from MIT, one was from UC Berkeley and another one was from Boston college. And they interviewed me. I walked in, I was so nervous, dude. I sweat through my sport coat. Right. So I took my sport coat off and you can see my nipples. I had this white button on shirt. I was just soaked and they wouldn't even shake my hand. But right before I went into the interview, um, that I knew I wasn't going to get, um, they said, uh, on NPR, they're like, 35% of China's water is lost in its five major cities due to poor infrastructure, namely from leaky pipes, right? And I've always had this like kind of creepy sense of memory, right? And so I walk in, I go to shake their hand. They didn't, they like lean back. They wouldn't shake my hand. Because you were so sweaty. Because I was so sweaty, dude. No way. (laughs) Yeah, dude. And I don't know if they were like posturing or whatever to try to make it more serious or uncomfortable. There's no, there's no cultural thing that makes it okay to not shake a a guy's hand. Yeah. I, I bumped, I gave this dude a hand bump the other day at the gym. He's like naked. He went to shake my hand. I'm like, I'm not shaking your hand while you're naked, dude. And I'm bumping. But anyways. The uh, I okay, felt, I felt you weird found, for not shaking his okay, hand. Okay, fair enough. You found the one scenario where <laughs> right. I'll, I'll back that <laughs> off. I, I agree. So, so, dude, this uh, they they said, "What do you know about Chinese infrastructure?" First question, right? And I'm like, "Well, did you know that 35 percent of China's water is lost through its five major cities due to poor infrastructure, <laughs> namely through leaky pipes?" And they were like, "Holy shit, man!" Like, I just bow, and I was like, "Thanks, NPR." So that happened, and now I'm in China, feeling like so outclassed literally outclassed you know like these people were like you know i'm like lower to lower middle class and these people are rich man and um and i just i worked harder and i wasn't like i i think that 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 stuff that happened growing up 
like literally, man, I mean, a lot of the stuff I was ashamed of and I didn't talk about, but I'm like, man, there's so many Jasons out there that like need to hear like, oh, this was real. And this dude really did this. And this is where he is. Cause it's still crazy to me that kids walk up to me and like literally want my signature. I was at a, a restaurant and Carlos Beltran was sitting in a booth in front of me and Yadier Molina was sitting in a booth behind me with his family. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Yadier Molina. That's Carlos Beltran. And somebody walked up to me and asked me for my autograph. Man. And I was like, what? And in this town, that's a real Dude, those are that's Jesus and 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 Paul. And Moses, you know what yeah. I mean? And Moses, right, dude. So like the uh man, I was like, this is crazy, dude. And that's how people think of me. Cause I still think like even still sometimes think of myself as that little white trash kid, you know. But like when I was I was 14 and I lived in like people called a trap house, you know, like we sold crack out of this house. I was 14 years old and I was like, I was as big as I am now when I was 14, right? Kind of a big guy, I'm like 6'4". Like I wasn't, I'm like 230 now. I wasn't that filled out then, but I was still a big kid. But I would throw people out like if they ran out, when they ran out of money, you know, and wanted more crack and, Jesus, and they didn't 14. have, yeah, they didn't have stuff to trade or whatever. They'd be like, Bachman, get them out. So I'd, I'd throw these people out. And I think now, like, in situations where people would typically be afraid and respond, like, abrasively, you know what I mean? Like, me and you talking. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. I'm not I'm not afraid of that, you know? Right. So I can look people in the eye and, like, be calm and calm people down and, and, um, and portray, like, confidence and, and be cool. So I'm over there, like... In China, like, man, what do I got to lose? I'm already over here on this full ride, like everything paid for, you know, like I can't lose. And, um, that was where one of like my first like successful ventures developed is that I met these people that manufactured furniture. Right. And so I came back here before I did that though, I was a counselor and that's a funny, weird story dude. but I was a counselor at this place in the desert which turned out to be a cult, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm in this place in the desert in Arizona and there were basically, man, I was like, man, I don't want to go back to where I came from. How did you, how did this cult find you to, to bring you? So on as a I end up cleaning my stuff up. Right. And I was like, um, school was bad. Right. So I, I quit school in eighth grade, like I said, and, um, I ended up, um, Clean, cleaning up and then an opportunity came like oh I can go work for this drug abuse program in Arizona right I'll go to school I looked at the curriculum dude there's no uh, math no nothing really you know it's just like you got to care about people basically right so I'm like man I care about people and so I ended up going out there and then it got so turned around dude it was basically like I could tell these funny stories that just won't make any sense for a long time. But like I had, uh, my teeth were all busted up from fighting and just hard living. Right. Growing up. And I was a Hoosier. My teeth were all crooked. I ended up getting some braces. I got my braces taken off right before I went down there. And the, um, wait, so you were the crack enforcer with yeah. a mouthful of braces. No, I didn't have braces then. Oh, <laughs> dude. One time I was locked up and I got my tooth broken. Um, you would make hot, you make tea, but really is Jolly Ranchers in hot water, right? So you get hot water. I put a Jolly Rancher in the, in the tea, in the, in the hot water to make some Jolly Rancher tea. 
and the Charlie Ranch like hardened up and I already had a broken tooth from I was like walking counting money and um to buy some drugs and the uh I walked through this backyard and I walked into a um a swing set and it busted my front tooth out anyways I ended up uh getting that fixed I got it uh broken out in jail by the Jolly Rancher tea because uh, the Jolly Rancher like hardened up when I went and took a bite of the Jolly Rancher and it broke my stupid tooth out and then um I got it fixed while I was in there for seven dollars and the the dentist and the dentist assistant I think were prescribing everybody tr- drugs and taking them themselves like the nurse would kept nodding out and like oh, oh, like stabbing the sucker down my throat the spit sucker so I, I just took the spit sucker from her and i put my hand on her forehead and i pushed her back over the chair so she's like oh my god yeah and the, the the dentist have you ever gotten teeth fixed where they like they put this uv ray on your tooth to harden this yeah, resin yeah, yeah, okay the epoxy, stuff. the epoxy so the guy kept nodding he would like do it and then nod out and then wake up and not where he was in the procedure so he would put more epoxy my tooth ended up being like a half inch thick, right? Front to back. It was, it was massive. <laughs> I couldn't close my mouth. Anyways, I get out of there, dude, working my ass off. I'd work like four or five jobs. No shit. I'd be like, you know, I'm going to roof. I, so I, I was roof. I worked at subway. I did some landscaping stuff and then I'd valet park cars. And that was like at one sitting, right? I'm like doing all that just nonstop. And I just thought that like, you know, I can, earn my way out of that way of life or something. And I didn't know how to work smart or I didn't have any examples of people that like, Oh, this is how you like leverage, you know, your time or your assets or, you know, delayed gratification. I was just like, all you do is just work more, you know, but I ended up saving money. I got some braces and then I get the braces removed right before I go to this training in Arizona. And, um, I brought, I was playing air hockey and I had the retainer in my pocket and I broke the retainer. And this is the first time that I was like, man, this is a little, something's a little weird. I was like, Hey, I broke my retainer. I need to go get a new retainer. And they're like, if you're spiritually correct, your teeth will straighten themselves. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) which seems like, Oh dude, it seems weird at the time (laughs) to say, dude. But I was like, Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. You know, I don't, you know, so I ended up, uh, my teeth got all wonky again, but I don't remember where I was going with so that. So you were out in this cult. Oh, dude, I'm in this cult. And it, like, man, it was, I can't even tell you, like, so I'll try to like, because if I start talking about it, I can go forever and it just won't make any sense. Trust me. All right. So here's the, like, the short reason why I left. Another problem with my tooth. I have a... uh so you get, you work like 20 hours a day, right? Legit. Like doing like manual labor or like leading groups, right? And so people are, you know, vulnerable when they have kids that, you know, have drug problems and they'll like, if you say you got a solution, they'll pay you. You know what I mean? So I'm working in this, I'm running this outpatient program for these kids. And, um, I had a, I needed a root canal and I'm like, it, the pain would get so bad. Literally I'd like, like power down. Right. And like, I would just shut off and pass out. And I was like, man, I need to get um, a root canal. And he's like, well, you know, go see how much that is. And I'm like, it's $1,100. And they didn't pay us hardly anything. I, I might have got 400 bucks a month, right? And I'm um, working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. No lie. No exaggeration. But the, the place did give me, I like I did walk away with some 
big positives, like maybe extreme positives, you know, like ownership, like anything that happens to you and around you is your fault, right? So like your mom dies from cancer, that's your fault, you know, like you spiritually attracted that into your family. Kind of weird to say out loud, but I end up, I'm like, I'm like, you know, this root canal is $1,100 and like, well, we're not paying for that. And so I save up for, it took me like a, it's eight months or something to say 50 bucks to get insurance. I go back is $400. And I was like, man, I thought like, so they said, we're not paying that. So I said to the, you know, the orthodontist, like, can you just bill me or something? Cause I don't, you know, I don't have the money and I'm like passing out a few times a day from the pain. Oh my God. And he said, uh, he said they'd bill me. And, um, it started, I started thinking like, man, you said that you guys were going to take care of me and I'm working a lot for you guys. And you're saying that I'm a star and that I'm doing all kinds of great stuff for you guys. And, but I'm not seeing any of the returns. All I want is like to stop passing out and to get my tooth fixed and you won't pay for it. And I happen to know that, you know what I mean? Cause there's 20 kids in my group. Those that that's like $8,000 a kid. It's 160 grand a month. You can't find $400 for me. Right. You know, and, um, all the costs were like soft costs. You know, it wasn't like there was a bunch of crap that went into like each one of these kids where there was, you know, anything fixed that, that, I don't know. It was, it was cheap. It was mostly profit. Right. And so they're paying for my labor and they're not paying me anything. And I asked questions about the money. Right. And that's when there was like, yeah, dude, you're on your way out. <laughs> I end up being in this group one night and I had this girlfriend which God, it's so weird to talk about, dude. But I was in this like arranged relationship with this girl I didn't like. She didn't like me. <laughs> from, from the cult, they were from like, the cult. Like this is your, together. this is yeah. You guys are gonna be together. And uh, and how far did they expect that to go? So whatever, we're adults, dude. I'm like, there's kids listening. Turn it off. But like, <laughs> we go on a date, and then. The next, we went on another, we went out another time, this girl and I, and then she came to my apartment where I live with like six dudes in a two bedroom apartment. Right. And, um, they were like, uh, she's like, Hey, I need to like take care of you. And what, what, uh, the Shannon said, and Shannon was like one of the big dogs, right? They didn't believe that like women in being in positions of authority or management, but like this is like as high as a, a woman could go in this organization. So much weird stuff, dude. But the uh, like so sh- so she had uh, like not had like she said I'm supposed to take care of you. Shannon says I need to jack you off, right? And I was like, whoa, like we've been on like two dates. Like I'm cool with that, but like <laughs> you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. Is this whoa. something that you want to do? And um, she said, "How old were you?" I was probably twenty-one. Wow! Right? It was weird, dude. It was so weird. And she's like, "I can, you know." And I was like, "Are you sure? You like, do you? If you want to do this, like, of course, like, I'm always down. But like, I'm not trying to make you do anything you don't want to do." And it like, (laughs) I don't know why I'm telling you about this, dude. But it stayed there. We could, we end up going out for like close to a year and couldn't have sex. Right? So like, they would like monitor what we did. It's so weird to talk about. I'm telling you, dude. And so, so you're going through this cult. You're you first get out there thinking, "Hey, this is the easy route." Boom. But you ended up finding out, like, I left one hell and went into a different one. And it, but the promise of 
not going back was strong there. I'm like, I'm here and this is better than where I came from. You that know? was better than where you came oh, from. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I mean, it was. Well, I guess they're sending people over to take care of you at your apartment. <laughs> right, dude. So it's so weird. But I ended up like the leader, like the national leader of this cult ends up coming to the to there one night. And um, I, I like you basically cut ties with your family. My little sister was graduating high school and I was like, hey, man, I want to go back and see my sister graduate high school. And they're like, well, you can't go. You can't go now. Like maybe like in a week or two weeks you can go. So the dude who ran the like chapter that I was at ended up buying me a plane ticket to go. The national dude comes in. He says, we told you not to go. And I was like, no, Josh bought my plane ticket. And uh, he's like, you saying Josh is a liar? And I was like, Josh, tell him. And the dude, Josh, just like literally turned his back to me. And I was like, oh, my God. And I felt all betrayed. You know what I mean? Like I, would, I had like been alone, you know, being locked up as like a kid. You know what I mean? 14 years old. I'm locked up with grown ass men. And um, no, no weird sex stuff ever happened or anything like that. I could fight. I fought a lot. And but I was alone, you know, and just being exposed to to men that are that are in that are that level of society. And you're 14 years old, 14. And I was just like them, but I was younger, you know what I mean? And less experienced. And um, so like, man, it could have got real bad, but it didn't. I mean, it was bad for sure. I saw some some of the worst stuff, you know, what I mean, but the uh, so then how did you end up getting out of there? So I'm there that night. This so I thought that I had found my people. I'm like, these people support me. They love me. I'm like one of many, you know? And then that night it kind of like turned, I'm like, they turned on me. You know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure it had to do with me questioning the money and the allocation of resources and stuff. And the, um, cause they were getting paid. I mean, like the leaders were like mansions and Mercedes and, you know, and, um, which is fine. Like I'm not opposed to people having stuff, but the, uh, the, the national leader guy, was like I'll shoot. he's like I'll shoot you, and then I'll call the cops and tell them that you raped Maria, right? That was who was my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, what? I was like, dude, and the guy jumped. He stood up and started coming at me, like to uh, like intimidate me. Or I knew he wasn't going to do anything, but wait, I, how can you say that? How how can you say he wasn't? He was he was up in your- um. So I think this guy was a fake tough guy, right? I think that he ruled this thing through fear, but really like looking back on it, he was not real, you know? And, um, I think that he lied a lot about where he came from and the things that he had done. Cause I really did those things. And some of the stuff that they talk about, everybody back, Ooh, wow, Oh my God. And I'm like, man, that does not match up. You know, and um, so this guy started walking at me and I jumped up like, I'll fucking kill you, man. You know, like, and everybody was like, oh, my God, you're talking to Jesus like that. You know what I mean? Like this dude was like David Koresh, you know, really? That oh, that, 100%. And I was like, you know, I don't anyway. So that night, like everything changed when I was like, you know, I felt threatened and like all the like indoctrination and stuff went out the window when the guy like really tested me and so i felt threatened and i was like like hey man like i'm not you know i don't remember my exact words but i was basically like i don't play like this and so he uh i ended up driving (coughs) i was gonna go to chicago i said nowhere else to go i was like i'm gonna drive to chicago and like start over 
you know, and I called my friend who happened to be in Vegas at the time. And he said, why don't you come to St. Louis and live with me? And, um, I drove from St. Louis. Were you from St. Louis? For the kind of, I was born in Arizona. I was born in England rather. I was born in England. My dad was in the air force. I lived in Arizona and then I, um, moved to St. Louis for a while. When you got in all that trouble, were you here? I was in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. But then I was like all over the country, like in those institutions and stuff, you know, so you get sent wherever. And, um, so like based on your crimes and like how big you are and all this stuff. Right. So I was always in like the worst places. Cause I was doing like bad stuff and I'm big. And right. Big. So yeah. I'm like in these bad places with big people. Anyways, I drove to St. Louis singing row, row, row your boat literally the whole time. Right. Like trying to like stay, I was so insane trying to, and Mike, I got back here and one of my friends said, um, Hey man, I'm going to school. You're going to go to school too. He basically like, he's my best friend. His name's Scott Levy. He's the man. He's a godfather of my kids and saved me, man. And so he was like, we're going to go to school. I ended up going to Merrimack Community College and I was literally in his math classes. It was like, you know, if you have two red crayons and one blue crayon, how many total crayons do you have? Right. And I like wasn't getting a hundred percent. Okay. And so that's where it started for me. I ended up getting into a business class. And I, I started this hot dog vending business because there was a there was a hot dog vendor in Arizona where I used to go all the time. You get two hot dogs, a bag of chips and a drink for four bucks. And I was like, I can af- I can afford to eat that. Right. So that's what I eat all the time. And I just tried to learn about this hot dog vending. It was always intriguing to me when I came back here. I started a hot dog vending business and it was like I was making literally I mean, my first night out, I made a pillowcase full of money. Right. I dumped it out on the ground and I just looked at it like oh my god this is insane you know and I think that like people being afraid like I again I'm like man what do I got to lose you know what I mean I don't care like people are like man you're gonna be like the dirty guy out there on the street like St. Louis doesn't have hot dog vendors you know and were I'm you like, outside of bars or where were outside you? of bars like we had a couple spots in the grove uh, in the grove south grand bush stadium the loop Dogtown, and then we do events all over the place and um my first night out was Mardi Gras Oh man. Yeah, dude. So I like crushed, you know, I, I like, uh, made more money than, you know, I made a, a, pile, a pillowcase full of money and, um, I just didn't care, you know, like, and I, most of the, um, and that's where you, like, you didn't care. I didn't care that, uh, you know, people would see me like being the hot from dog. my neighborhood, yeah. you know what I mean? And they're like, rich from selling drugs you know or like some hot sorority girl like you know like i'd be in the loop and there'd be like all these like rich kids you know and and um they would uh you know poke fun at me or whatever and i i just like i started reading the stuff and it was like um you know i'd look i'd recognize the good in people i like look in their eyes and this reading that i read it's called emmett fox this dude's awesome emmett fox is like one of like the first thought leaders around the turn of the 19th century and he was, um, he's like, and I'm not Christian, but he was a, a, a Christian, like radical thinker. Right. And CS Lewis was one of his best friends and together they did a bunch of different works, but he talked about looking people in the eye and recognizing the good in them and how it dis or the God in them and how it physically changes them. Right. So I would look at people who I'd be afraid of or intimidated by or want their approval, you know, and I'd look in their eye and like, I'd say, there is God or there is good in that person. And then I'd be like, Hey, how's it going tonight? 
you know, we got hot dogs here, blah, 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 blah. I give my little spiel. And, um, and I didn't care. I mean, like I was already a loser, you know? So what do I care that I'm like out here in the street selling hot dogs at four in the morning? And, um, I ended up like doing really well with that. And I learned like hands-on business, right? Like price elasticity. I learned, you know, I, I had so many concepts that I was I was studying as eventually at Merrimack, right, the community college in St. Louis, and I would cro- like none of the t- none of nothing made sense to me in school. And then I started like I'd cross out widgets on an economics test, you know, and put hot dogs, hot dog buns. So I'd turn my test back in, and, and it would like it'd be like ketchup, onions. Like I'd cross out everything, and they're like, "What the hell is this?" And I was like, "This is just the way it makes sense to me." And so I ended up, you know, doing good in school because I had something that I'd, I'd read that day, that night I'd go be like, what happens if I make these a quarter, you know, I'm going to sell it too fast, like newsboy modeling, right? Right. All kinds of crap. So did you learn things in in school? Did, did that help you? Some things like uh, the break even analysis, right? Like, which is a basic, you know, thing that you learn. So break even that made sense to me. And that's something still that's like really basic that I tell kids, like you should know, like, it's not, I buy it for five, I sell it for 10. Like there's something in between there. So, you know, and so like a, a break-even analysis, I really, I learned price elasticity made a lot of sense. I ended up taking, when I went to Washu, a, um, but I learned about management really at this hot dog cart. And I think that uh, that'll, uh, we can, maybe we can lead that yeah, into, yeah. into low turnover of people. So, but, um, Washu, what was I saying? Well, so you had been studying in business. You're handing oh, in these. Okay, so I went. To, so I ended up going to Washu, right? After I went to China, all that stuff. I go. I get accepted. I go to grad school at Washu because I had this, one of the best business schools, the schools in the country. In the country, dude. And so I was there, and literally this happened, dude. Sometimes I cry when I say this, and I don't care. But like I'm there, and they're talking about like, well, we have you know this like war hero, you know, Michael Sanders stand up, you know, and they're like, if anybody has a heart attack uh, in class due to the stress, you know. Sandy is a cardiothoracic surgeon, right? Like literally, these are the people that I'm class and, and my, you go through in groups, right? In the Washington business school. So one of my, the dudes in my uh, class, he was, uh, he worked with Jim McKelvey, started a lot of that crap with Jim McKelvey, not crap, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like big stuff, you know, square Twitter, like, like this dude was the man went to Harvard, went to Cornell. And, um, and I ended up just telling him like, I'm like free with, I'm like, man, I'm like really Im- intimidated that you're in my group, man. Like you're probably one of the smartest people I've ever read about. And he was like, me, I was intimidated by you. He's like, you went to China. You got this furniture business. You did the hot dog. Like, and he's talking about all this crap and he's, and, uh, and I was like, oh, well, people are just people. You know what I mean? There's no, like, there might be some outliers, you know, like Martin Luther King or Steve jobs or those people for the most part. I'm like, man, we're like afraid or insecure about the same stuff, you know? And we do, we probably like uh, maybe through our upbringings or education or like psychosis, I don't know, like we're better than other people at masking some of those things. But for the most part, everybody, we're on the same playing field, man. They ended up, they said, we have a person who we're very proud to have in our program. Here we go, And they were like, uh, you know, Jason negotiates, you know, multi-million dollar contracts for, you know, futures on school furniture and all this crap. And, uh, but when they were talking about me, I was like, man, what the fuck am I doing here, dude? Like, 
I almost got up and went to the bathroom and left. This is an orientation. So they were like, here's this guy. And they're talking about all this dude's accolades. And they're like, Jason Bachman, please stand up. And I was like, oh my God, dude, they're talking about me. Right. I still have this view of myself that I'm that kid and the, you know, the enforcer kid that doesn't know anything that's destined for nothing. And here are these people who are like legitimately smart people. You know, I didn't get there by accident. It wasn't, they needed to fill a spot. They wanted me to be there. And, um, and that, ha- that there, that was probably the best thing I learned at WashU. I took an operations management class that taught me about, you know, throughput and like all, you know, all this stuff about manufacturing that ends up really helping me T- tons more than, I mean, so much. I mean, I like, you know, restaurants like so i own some donut shops right like restaurants that have way higher sales way higher ticket prices uh average ticket cost than me like we make more money than them because of operations management right like um time of production and and all these different things right so i learned about operations management and you can't learn about that really like it'd take a you know, a really long time to learn, but like success leaves clues. Right. And like, I'm learning and reading about all these companies, Toyota and all these people who like really are masters of those things. And I'm like, how do I apply that to this furniture business? So success leaves clues that, that is, uh, that's a really insightful phrase. (laughs) Thanks dude. Yeah. I don't don't know. I'm sure I read that that somewhere. I don't know. I'm sure I read it somewhere, but maybe it's mine. I don't know. But I think that people get caught in their own lane and like too big of fans of their own accomplishments that they won't look at other people and take cues from them. You know, but I've just thought that like, man, what do, what are these other people doing? Right. And how can I learn from it? Yeah. I think that that's uh, one, one of the best things that ever happened to me in life was I had a really good friend. We used to joke and call him that he was the most interesting man in the world. Mm-hmm. And it was like a thing that we would say behind his back. Cause he was like a ship captain. He knew how to drive like while shooting a gun out the window. And he t- was off the th- oil fields in Angola. Like he was just Hell amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one time I was, I was talking with him and I brought it up and I was like, yeah, you know, captain Gordon, Greg, uh, you're the most interesting man in the world. And his face totally dropped he he went from being like really happy and, and he was like oh my god and i could tell something was wrong i'm like what are you em- embarrassed of and he was like i have my entire life always sought not not to be the most interesting person but to be the most interested and all of a sudden it hit me the reason everybody loved him was not because he had all these crazy stories mm-hmm. it was because he cared about what you had to say. And so you would sit there and hear his things, but you wanted to know it because he wanted to know so much about you. Like, and that, that opened up the world for me. It made me way more comfortable asking other people questions. Cause you realize like, we're not in a competition. Like if I'm interested in you, something good will come out of that. I'm so glad you said that dude. Cause that's like, that's our, our, like founding principle, you know, and we tell everybody that we hire at Strange Donuts. If you ever get a chance to go to Strange Donuts, you'll probably be more impressed with our staff than you are our product. And I couldn't be more happy with that. And we talk about that. Like, and some of that is like, 
So what I did at the hot dog stand, and this is like through studying some other people, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like as much as people make fun of that, that is that book is dead on hundred percent. You couldn't, there's some stuff that needs to be updated, but like people wanting to be acknowledged will never go out of style. That's right. You know? And so what at the hot dog stand, I would ask people, you know, like, I'm like, man, the hot dog is going to sell itself. You're drunk. It's three in the morning. I got this hot dog right here that smells ridiculous, you know, and you, and it's cheap. You can buy it, you know, and the uh, I knew. So a couple things happened. One thing happened. I was a service this at a restaurant while I'm doing the hot dog thing, going to school, all this crap. And um, this guy says, hey, um, you know, you forgot my Coke. And I was like, oh, sorry. I'll be right back, sir. I walk a table away and somebody said, hey, blah, blah, blah. They, I took an order from him real quick. I walk right back by the guy's table and he's like, my Coke. And I was like, be right with you, sir. You know, and he's just little like I wanted to I punch him in his chest, you know, like little bitch ass dude. And I was like, man, I'll be I'm like, I'll be right with you, sir. I'm sorry. Just, I'll be right back. My apologies. So I give the dude his I get go back at his Coke later that day. I um, I'm at the gym. I'm lifting weights. This dude walks by the guy, the Coke guy. And I'm like, Oh, now we're like both at the gym. You know, I'm like, I'm like a dude, you know, not like the server. And he was like, Oh, you know, like looked at me and shook his head. And I'm like, Oh, he's still upset about the Coke because to him, I am a server. I am not a person. I am not an equal. It doesn't matter that we both go to the same gym, that we live in the same area, that we speak the same language, that we look similar. You know what I mean? We might have the same interests. I am in a box to him. And I was like, man, I need to. And Danny Meyer, he wrote a book about it called Setting the Table. I think it's it's about restaurants, but it's probably one of the best business books I've ever written. And so he put words on it that I couldn't. But I was like trying to do this for a long time. He talks about collecting the dots and connecting the dots. Right. So at the hot dog stand, I started doing this, collecting the dots. Right. So I'd get pieces of information about people. Right. So, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Baltimore. Oh, crazy. Where at? My grandparents live in Baltimore. Right. Oh, they're like on East Street. Oh, my God. My granddad grew up on East Street. Do you know this hill? We used to roll tires down that hill. Right. Now, all of a sudden, dude, I am not the dirty hot dog salesman, you know, who's standing out there at three in the morning. Like I am his buddy. You know what right. I'm saying? Connecting from Baltimore. That's boom. Right. So like I gather these pieces of information about people and now like, so some people would say, man, I can buy a whole pack of hot dogs for $3, you know, and like go home and cook them myself. Like why? And that's the truth. If, if, if you, at, at strange donuts, if you run through the wall, you know, at our creep core location, you're in the, if you're strong enough, you could bust into the uh, donut case in Deerberg's, right? Which is a grocery store that's next door to us. And they have donuts over there, 59, 79, 99 cents. You know what I mean? And ours are $1.25 to $25, $3.05, right? And I'm like, so why do people like come here, right? Why do people not go there and get a product that's inferior? It is. I mean, there's some stuff with the product, but really they're buying from their friend. You know, we tell people at Strange Donuts, like when we hire them, I tell them a, like a little story and I'm not the person that hires people anymore, which is a good thing for a lot of different reasons, you know, but like we hire people based on like personality and you know them being able to like um riff with people and have a conversation and just something interesting about them i mean there's a bunch of people that we hire that we have hired in the past you know they're like 
you know, either special needs or, you know, bordering on, on like needing a lot of extra help. And, um, we teach them because they're willing or have like a cool personality, you know, or, uh, we teach them like, this is how you interact with people. And so like to bring it to like, so these people are buying hot dogs from their buddy now. Right. Right. I end up getting like so many girls like at the hot dog stand, which always made me question them. I'm like, man, I'm the schlep at the hot dog stand. Like how cool can this girl be that she's with me? You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't date the hot dog girl. You know what I mean? Or maybe I would, I don't care. Yeah. But if you're getting after it, <laughs> right, dude. Girl, girls like the guy yeah, you can get dude. after it, That's for sure. Yeah. And the, uh, the right girls, the right. No, no, for sure. For sure. And like, and it ended up being awesome. It was great. But that like people, I hear all these studies, you know, and one of the professors at WashU was like, yeah, you know, people that are entrepreneurs have, you know, a high level of self-esteem and self-assuredness. And I was like, man, it could have been more opposite than that for me. I had nothing, you know, I did this thing and maybe there was something in me that like allowed me to take this risk. But after I started like stacking up wins, I, that's where my confidence came from. Not from like thinking I'm awesome. I thought, I think I'm a piece of shit, but like there's evidence that's contrary to that. Right. And so now I have these wins and like just in in my personal life, like, and I think everybody can relate to this. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to watch football. My wife comes in, I bought this green dress. I really don't care about the green dress. Right. And I'm like, I could be like, I don't give a shit about a green dress. You're standing in front of TV. You know what I mean? It's fourth quarter. Like I'm trying to watch my football game. And then you know how that goes. Right. You know, it's a fight. It's stupid. I got to clean it up afterwards. I feel bad about the way I treated her. She doesn't get to celebrate the green dress. We fight and I don't even get to see the fourth quarter anyways. Right. You know, so I start saying this and this is like what you're talking about, like being interested in other people. There's a, there's this prayer, St. Francis of Assisi, right? It's better to be under, to understand than to be understood. Like I read a bunch of that stuff. And again, I'm like, not this religious dude, you know what I mean? But I'm like, I try to take from where I can, but I'm like, so I start this is what I start doing. I'm like some experimenting. I'm like three questions. Boom. So I'm like, so I make it a rule in my life. I didn't know what you did forever. We were like in the gym forever together. Cause I'm like, Hey man, what do you do for fun? You know? Uh, and you tell me you like to ski or whatever you do judo, you know? I'm like, Oh, how, how long have you been doing that? You know, like, do you think that you could, are you good? Could you beat up most of the people in the gym? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then that's cool. Like, that's so much better than what do you do? And then you're like, I'm a plant scientist. Oh, where yeah, do you go from there? You know what I'm saying? So like, I tell, I do this with my wife. Where'd you buy that green dress? Oh, I bought it at TJ Maxx. Um, it was on sale. I got it for $75. Crazy. Did they have any other colors? Yeah, they had, I was thinking about getting a blue one. There were some purple ones. They had a yellow one. The yellow one was ugly, but I got this one. I'm like, oh, crazy. Where do you think you're going to wear that? Like, oh, I'll probably wear it to Jenny's party or something, you know? And I'm like, you're going to look great in that, babe. Right? That, even with me explaining it, took 15 seconds. She walks away like, everybody "Mm." wins. Dude, and I'm watching football. Yeah. And so we do that now. We tell people in Strange Donuts. You know, like, and it's not scripted, you know, like we, like just so like, so we start out saying with, for new people, when someone comes in, ask them what they have going on today. Like, cause we hire some awkward people, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like some weird people, man, that, uh, whatever that. And that's just different enough of a question to, to knock somebody off of their, oh, nothing's going Boom. on or whatever. Yeah. And have, there's have some you, reason you come into strange, don't it? Because right. Because if, if you're going to that 
donut shop as opposed to just integrating it into your your run to the grocery store. Right. Something's going on. So I'm like, that's what I tell I'm like, people are coming here to buy the donuts. You do not have to sell them the donuts, right? What we're selling them is a little bit of a break in their day, right? So we, like Disney does a good job, right, of like disconnecting you from the reality out there to the reality in here. You walk through this big, long tunnel. Now you're in Disney. You know what I'm saying? There's a physical separation. We can't, you know, because of the money we have, we can't provide a physical separation from the real world to our donut shop, you know, because that square footage is costly. And uh, but maybe at some point we do. I don't know. But we provide like a mental tunnel. You know what I mean? What do you got going on today? Oh, I'm probably going to go to the park or whatever. Oh, crazy. What park do you go to? Um, I go to this park. Man, I love that park. I take my dog there all the time. Right. Mm. Boom. And so now that person's like, and they're like, oh, what do we got here? You know what I mean? Like on the donuts. We ask them three questions and they're, and you got to feel it out and people get better at feeling out about it. You know what I mean? Some people just want their donut. They want you to shut up. They want their stuff and they want to go. You know what I'm saying? But then, I mean, we, uh, we, um, form relationships with these people, you know, we're like, I can't tell you how many weddings we've done. Hundreds, literally hundreds of weddings we've had. Isn't that amazing? No less. Isn't than- that amazing? Like literally the 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 night that people want to create the most passionate memory that lasts for the longest, the most special experience for those guests mm-hmm. so that they'll remember it. And they want you. They donuts. choose us. That's, dude. that's phenomenal. It's insane. It's still so crazy to me. I mean, there was like like somebody, a dude passed away recently and they came in and this lady made a, a special order for some raspberry donuts and it was something specific. And I just said, you know, ask that lady why she wants these donuts. And it turns out that her husband of like 50 years died. And for the past six years, like he's been slowly getting worse and our raspberry jelly donuts like brought like took this dude back oh. to his childhood, right? So I said, wow. call that lady back and give her all those donuts, right? It was like a hundred donuts or something, you know what I mean? Costs us, you know, two hundred and twenty five bucks in lost revenue or whatever. But I was like, man, whatever. Like we're you know, how big of an honor is it that like at this at this memorial, like everybody's like, because this was this dude's like favorite thing and reminded him of a time he was happy and that's it that's the final memory marking moment that is amazing man so from kids being born to you know i mean cancer survivors they ring the bell and they come to strange donuts you know to uh celebrate to you know memorials to i mean and you would you would chalk this up uh, in large part to people being interested in the customers as they come in. That's it. To people being interested in the customers when they come in. If you're selling just the product, we could focus on the product way more, right? And we do make, and we win Best Donuts. You know, we won Best Donuts in the United States. We win Best Donuts all the time. Feast, Sauce, all these food publications and stuff. We were in the New York Times. I was an entrepreneur magazine. I'm in all this stuff, you know what I mean, for the product itself. But like, we can focus on the product and have the best product. But like, man screw up that product one time. You know what I mean? With with like the art of baking, you know what I mean? You can have a shit product. Sometimes our donuts are trash, you know? And so like screw that up one time, dude, and you don't have a relationship with the customer. Good luck seeing them again, you know? So 100% it's because of feeling interested or them feeling like we are interested in them. And the key is we truly are interested in them, right? I tell people like, you know, these like asking people these three questions, being honestly um, interested in other people will bring you, you know, more sex partners, more money, more opportunity, 
more fulfillment in your life than anything else that you will ever do in your life. You know what I mean? No amount of education, no amount of money, you know what I mean? Will give you the return on investment that then like genuinely being interested in people. So this actually maybe brings up a good, a good question for you. What, what is something that uh, you're interested in now or you're, or you're beginning to get curious about? Um, so I'm, uh, what am I interested in right now? I like art. I like cigars. I like speaking of art. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you play chess at all? I have. I know how. So, you know, right now, the, the World Chess Hall of Fame is in St. Louis, right. Missouri, right? Mm-hmm. They right now have literally the best art exhibit I have ever seen, period. Really? In, in the entire world. Okay. It's the M.C. Escher exhibit. What? And I, it's got to be almost ready to be gone. You, you know M.C. Escher? Oh, yeah, of does course. Well, what they do is they have it on two floors. I'm so excited you said art. Okay. Because, I, because almost nobody ever does. So I've not been able to talk about this yeah. yet. Yeah. So they have two floors at the World Chess Hall of Fame. And the first floor, they have his opening works, right? Where he's like just figuring things out. And they have like different perspective things. Like M.C. Escher is the guy that ultimately drew the hands that the drew hand the other hands. The hand, yeah. and, and, uh, or the one where there's like an orb sitting in the uh, like a metallic uh, sphere. And you can see him drawing it. Well, in the first floor, they have what was it like when he started? His original works where you're like, hey, that line's not very straight or the perspective just doesn't look right. And so you walk around the first section and you're like, "Okay, he's learning. And then you go upstairs and you see a room of masterpieces. Most people only ever see the masterpieces, Mm -hmm. but you get to go and look and see See how did he develop this thing? It is it is so mind bending. I have never seen anything else like it in my life. Thank you for telling me, dude. I'll check it out. I'll go today. It, it, it was uh, and it was a profound experience. So if you know anybody at the World Chess Hall of Fame or anybody that because I've tried to contact them because I want to get whoever curated that because all the plaques read every single one of them because it's totally worth it to explain what's going on there. Th- that was amazing. But herein lies that's uh, art is an amazing thing to be interested in because it's a reflection not just of what the artist said, but like whatever you have going on in your life, mm-hmm. you see that. Oh, yeah. Most of it's up to interpretation. You know what I mean? Like most artists, when you ask them or I'll try to ask them, you know, like and I have, I have a cool story about asking three questions and an artist. I'll tell you in a second. Like. I'm like, hey, they'll talk to you about, you know, where they were when they like. So next to our store in Maplewood, there's an art gallery next door where they have some notable people come and display art and do live art. Oh, right. Yeah. And so it's tight. Um, and so. I started like getting really into art then I've always had an appreciation for it, but like really, um, knowing more of what I'm looking at and reading into some stuff. And I'm just like, you know what, that, what it does to me. So the artists will say like, you know, some artists will say, I'm like, what is this about? And they're like, I'm not going to tell you, you know what I mean? What do you think it's about? You know, and they'll put it back on you. And I, I so appreciated that, you know what I mean? That it's not just hand fed or spoon fed to you. And then some people now, I, you know, they say, do you want to know what this is about? I'm said, I don't, you know, like looking at this thing is about to make me cry. You know what I mean? And I just, I don't want to be perverted by what you were trying to do with it. It means something to me, you know? And the, uh, but dude, I'll tell you this crazy story. And we got time, right? We're, oh, yeah, we're just ripping yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah, this is great. You're a good dude to talk to. Yeah, dude. I, I, when you're done, I have another thing I want to show you. This is All how right. you know it's good because I'm like, oh, I want to show Jason this. Hell yeah, dude. Check this dude. I'm in New York with my wife. And like, you know, you Google Jason Bachman's wife or whatever. My wife is 
so hot, dude. She was a, <laughs> she was a L'Oreal model, right? Like, okay. she was, you know, she represented Johnny Walker for South America. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, she's beautiful, dude. She's Venezuela. She's like five seven, just crazy hot, and so much cooler and like nurturing than she is hot, right? And just I, I, I way out of my league, dude. I'm in New York with her on the High Line walking. And there's a dude in a, in a, in a tuxedo playing the cello. And there was a little girl dancing in front of the, the guy. And I'm like, and I just start looking at the guy. I'm like, oh man, this dude's like playing the cello out here. This is tight. Like, man, I'm so like happy to be here on the high line. And it just opened. I was like, this is sick. I can't believe I'm here, dude. And I'm watching the dude play the cello behind me. There's this homeless dude painting. And I was like, the dude on the cello stops playing. And I had made all these assumptions about who he was and what, you know, his backstory was. And here's like this hard up guy who, you know, is out here busking, you know what I mean? Trying to make a little bit of money and, um, like good thing for this guy. Here's this girl, like, you know what I mean? That has stopped and enjoying his music. She, he stops playing and she's like, can you like keep playing daddy? Right. So this girl was the dude's dad. He was in like the New York Philharmonic right he was walking home with his daughter and his daughter begged him to play something so he stopped and played for her wow right and everybody's like yeah clapping like he had this huge audience you know what i mean I asked the dude who he was and he's like oh blah, blah, blah. and i wish i remembered his name but like the dude was like you know big time you know big time uh, he's a thoroughbred in the <laughs> classical music even if you said his name it wouldn't wouldn't mean anything wouldn't mean anything it, right yeah. dude but the dude's big time right I go, I turn around to the the homeless dude. I'm like, hey, man. I was like, this man, this is a cool experience, huh? He's like, yeah, this is that was pretty cool. And I was like, I like what you're painting. And he's like, thanks, man. I was like, that stuff's real cool. How long have you been out here doing this? And he's like, oh, just today. And I was like, man, it looks really good. Can I buy something from you? And he's like, no. No, I'm just out here painting for me. And I was like, all right, man. Well, I really enjoyed seeing it, dude. Thank you. Right? And it was like this intersection of like this crazy culture, right? Like, I don't know about, you know, the High Line or, or New York or the cello or whatever. And then I walk, I go, I walk away. I'm like, Hey man, have a good night to the homeless dude. And, um, he's like, Hey, come here. You want something? And I was like, he's like, he's like, take this. And he just gives me the painting. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, I want to take it, dude. I'll pay you for it. What do you want for it? You know? And I went to give him, I don't know what I went to give him. He's like, no, 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 just give me two, give me 20 bucks. And I was like, all right, you sure? Yeah, man, that's cool. Thanks for being so nice to me. And I was like, of course, dude, like we got to be good to each other. I'm in, uh, Wynwood, I think in Miami, right? It's like all these art galleries. I walk into this art gallery <laughs> 10 years later, dude. And, um, here's this painting on the wall. It's Marilyn Monroe. It's all day glow and her boobs are Mickey Mouse heads. Right. And I was like, man, I have that painting, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I look close and it's this dude, Ron English. Right. Who like if you he is most famous for um, like a smiley face that is smiling real big and you can see a skeleton through the mouth. Okay. Okay. So like I'll find that some like iconic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So boom, they're selling this painting for $60,000, dude, at this gallery in Miami. And I was like, oh my God, dude, I got that thing. I got that thing at home. And I got it just by being like, hey man, how's your night going, dude? This is awesome. You know what I mean? The dude was going to give it to me. And it turns out he was just doing out there, out there doing color tests. 
you know, for these paintings. So I have like the artist proof, you know what I mean? Like the, of this $60,000 oh, work, which is like, is unbelievable. So like, that's, a, that's, a, I, that's like a direct example of like, ask three questions, be genuinely interested, be a good person, offer to pay for value. You know what I mean? And so, uh, so that, that painting right there is, uh, it, it was given to me when I was a deckhand and when I was a deckhand, you, you, it was on this ecotourism ship. So it was a flat bottom ship and there were only like 140 passengers, mm-hmm. six deckhands. And you would have to go stay, stand gangway watch, which means you'd have to stand at the bottom. So if the passengers wanted to get on and off and mm-hmm. they could, well, we were in this shitty port because we were taking on fuel and food. And so it is a broke down place. It's like, you don't want to go out. The passengers aren't even on the boat and you I'm go all over the, the world. Yeah, this was all over like the Western Hemisphere. So it okay. was like from Vancouver Island all the way down to the Panama Canal and through. And so um, it's this is in Honduras. And I'm sitting down there and I always made it a practice of two, doing two things. One is I always had cigarettes and I gave them to the guards. Okay. And I made friends with the guards because you never knew like, hey, if something shady's going on, you want these guys to be your friends. It's, mm-hmm. I used to do it with bouncers when I would go into a bar when I was down in Central America And anyway, I ended up talking to this guy for like four or five hours. And then he like is like, oh, you're leaving, but not until tonight at 10 o'clock. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'll be right back. And you see him go and get on a bike and then start like biking. And there's like nothing out there but mountains. Right. Mm -hmm. He comes back, I don't know, six hours later racing. And somebody comes down to the crew holds and is like, Vance, there's some guy out front (laughs) and he and he wants to see you. And so I come out there and he's holding this painting and he's written on the back of it. You can't see it because it's covered up. My wife framed it. And it says uh, in the back, like, uh, mi primera amigo from Honduras, de Honduras. And it was his dad's last painting before he died. Wow. And the guy went and gave me the most valuable thing he could think of because we'd had this conversation for a few hours and there was some American. And I have traveled for years and years and years. I own, when I got married, I owned like nothing. I owned like a suitcase of stuff because I'd, I'd moved around so much. I didn't have the money to move it. I didn't have a car. and mm-hmm. But I always managed to keep that. And that's the power of art, right? Right. He gave me something and it now sits, you know, in the most treasured room in my house. And, and I love it. And it'll live forever. I don't, it doesn't have to be valuable at all, but it's got the story and it's embedded into that. Well, value, I mean, you think about like value in that, right? Like think about that. I don't know how long it took that guy, like cost of goods on that thing is probably like 90 cents, maybe. Right. right? Like there's a bunch of effort and time that was put into it. But like once you hit a certain point, you know, M. Escher, like you mentioned, like he could probably bang those things out one after another. Right. Once he had perspective and he was a master of his craft, that really means nothing to him. Right. Like not nothing to him, but like it's inconsequential. It's not costing him a bunch to give you this work of art. But to you, I mean, the arbitrage in that is insane. Right. Oh, absolutely. And same thing back to other people. Like it does not cost me anything, dude. You know what I mean? to like be genuinely interested in people I would and say, and you never know who you're helping, you know? I mean, that's why I think like the, 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 you know, I was referring to you as like the super nice guy at the gym. Uh, to me, there almost everybody that is in the gym is on a hero's journey of, of some course, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
you go there to suffer. Maybe some people go there to like see their friends or whatever, Mm -hmm. but you're doing it as a sacrifice to get somewhere else, whether that's to tune up your body or to get over an injury or whatever. And I can remember like we didn't sit around and we had the same like entry level conversation probably three dozen times, Mm -hmm. but just being nice to somebody at the gym, like you wouldn't know this, but I didn't know how to lift at all before I started going there. And like, you know, just to have somebody be like, hey, man, you know, one of the big guys at the at the squat rack, be like, hey, what's up? That makes a huge difference to people. I remember saying something to you. And I said this the other day, actually. I'm like, man, you know, I was like, dude, you look like a completely different person. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, what are you doing? And you're like, well, Kwong and me and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And then, like, you're genuinely excited about that. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's a weird thing. That's a weird uh, voyeuristic thing to see and say, really. Like, you know, you're like uh, working out, you know what I'm saying? Like, here's how strong I am in front of everyone. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so like, I think to be able to say to somebody and then like, you be cool enough to like respond, like, man, what do you, I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Cause you look great. You know what I'm, I'm not hitting on you or nothing. I'm just like, let me tell this dude that like, he's doing good. And I notice, and how do I learn from this guy? Right. Right. Like whatever you're doing is working. How can I learn from that? By the way, dude, you're jacked. <laughs> what happened? I'm doing this thing right now. I've always lifted weights. I've always been kind of strong, dude. I'm like average guy strong, I think. I can bench like 340 or That's something. That's not average guy strong. No, I'll tell you, dude. Listen to this though. <laughs> 340, I could squat 385, almost 400. And then I can deadlift like 400 now, right? So like my totals, it's, uh, now I'm kind of into this deadlift, like yeah. powerlifting thing. If you haven't watched deadlift dude. is killer, dude. That'll, that'll destroy you. Be careful. I know, out there. I, yeah. There's this dude, West side versus the world. It's on Netflix. It's okay. so tight. So, but now I say like average guy strong. Cause now I'm like, I've like work out with these people like strange donuts is sponsoring powerlifters now. Right. Cause oh, I like, cause I like want to be like, I try to invest in the things that I'm interested in. Right. So like art, we sponsor art shows all the time, dude, you know, where literally that might just mean like, Hey man, let me give you some donuts. So your people that are coming through there have something to eat. And let me tell people about your show. Right. Let me tell people that you have this show going on. That's great. Cause how hard is it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and you, you can make all the difference for, for an artist that's trying to get their boom, name out there, trying to do something. Yes. And, and how long do they get ignored? forever dude right forever and even i mean now it's crazy with instagram and stuff but most artists you know what i mean you're like you're you you die and then you might get noticed you know what i'm saying but like that stuff some of that stuff is speeding up but like the, again valuing you know or like like paying for people's value that's an easy thing i mean the people that like do you know photography for us you know like i can't pay you know there's a there's agencies in town you know i mean twenty thousand dollars and you know they'll give you two photos literally at the end of the day you know, not at the end of the day, but like it'll, it'll be a couple right. weeks to turn around yeah. those two photos. And um, I'm like, I can't pay for that. I'd love to do that stuff. How can I make this happen? But um, I'll tell people, you know, I'll, I you can take a couple photos from me. I'll give you, you know, 200 bucks or something for them. And that's a bunch of them. And I'm like, you tell me what you want and I'm not going to negotiate with you. You know, and most of those people, you know, uh, as opposed to like go to people in the like creative arts, you know, they get hammered all the time. I do this painting. It took me four days. I want 10,000. I'll give you 900. Okay. I need to eat. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? But so, you know, you're talking about, about with sponsoring the artists and my brother has a phrase that really is, it means a lot to me now. And he's like, uh, carrying water for somebody. Oh yeah, dude. And that, that like, 
you know, you, you look around and the, and the people that you are most grateful to in your life are the ones that picked up and carried water for you at some time when mm-hmm. you need it. They, they went out and told people, Hey, strange donuts is really good. Or, Oh, that guy that's doing those, uh, hot dogs, or they opened up a door to connect you with somebody mm-hmm. else. And you think about how that made you feel. Yeah. And if you can carry water for somebody else, once you realize like, Oh, wait a second, I can do that for somebody else. I can go open up doors for them. I can go make something happen. 100%. You're like, this is one of the greatest parts of life. Dude, there's two things. Have you ever, do you ever listen to MFCEO podcast? No. Everybody listening to this podcast should listen to the MFCEO podcast. It's an entrepreneurship podcast. It's awesome. It's a dude in St. Louis named Andy Frisella. You're the second person. Do you know him? Or loosely, yeah, kind so of. The second I do person know that's yeah. told me about that podcast. You should listen to it. Okay, the dude's the man, but he talked about the, the gas man being the gas man, right? Like gassing people up. Like you can do it. I'm gonna help you. How can I help? You know, and um and like the payoffs from being the gas man cost you nothing, you know. But I mean, there's a guy in town um who owns a place called Sugar Fire, and they're super successful, right? They're all over the United States. They're, you know, they're big, and um he was one of the first people to talk about strange donuts, you know, and so it like he talked about us in a, in a food publication. I'm excited to hear about like these guys. He came and gave us a bunch of food that we did our first stranger with called briskets and gravy. And he gave us like 15 gallons of brisket gravy that we ended up making like biscuits and gravy out of. And the, um, and I was like, went to pay him and he's like, no, what do you like? It's free dude. Like I want to see you successful. And we end up like, I try we try to do that in turn now. Right. There's a, the farm called, um, rolling lawns farms uh, that was like on the brink of like extinction and selling their cows and folding up, you know? And, um, it was crazy. All the stuff I learned about farms. I'm into farms right now, like two farms a day, two dairy farms, in the United States a day go out of business. Right? It's rough right now. I had a dairy farmer on the podcast. It was, it's, who was uh, it rolling lawns was it Michael. No, no, it's a, it's a buddy of mine from out in Washington state. Okay. Dwayne Faber, dude. So Favor, what's up? Yeah. The, uh, so I was like, man, I he's think- cool. He has a hilarious, uh, t- Twitter feed. Like, he's a hilarious comedian. What's his Every- Twitter? It's just dfaber84. dfaber84. I'm gonna yeah. follow him. But the, we'll get it. All right, dude. So, uh, we're in, I'm like, hey, man, uh, you guys seem cool. Can we sell your milk? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, we'll bottle up, dude. We'll sell it. He's like, how much do you think you could sell? I'm like, I don't know, man. We could probably do like, 1500 gallons a month or something you know and he was like what <laughs> and it was it was like cool and then like i was like look we're gonna bring a camera crew out we're gonna shoot a video we're gonna tell everybody about you dude and so like the dude now is like jason i can't tell you like how that changed what we do but what's happening is this man i get my milk directly from a cow that i sunshine you know what i mean i know like the cow's names right that milk is comes out of these cows at six in the morning. It's at my shop at nine in the morning. I pay a little bit more money for the milk. Um, but the shelf life of that milk now is much longer because it's not going from distributor to distributor to distributor where I get it and I have five days to sell it before it goes bad. I get it. I have 21 days. I'm paying a little more. The product is way better. And Oh, we're helping this family who's like the best people ever who've had these cows since 1904 who like are pulling their hair out, not knowing what to do. And I'm like, now we can help them. And guess who they talk about all the time now? You know, we're buddies with them. And so it's awesome. I mean, like carrying water for other people like now. And I, I, that's the way I felt about this podcast. It was like, uh, 
you know, in the travels that I've done, I have a chance that if I wanted to, I could do all of these on Skype. It could be super easy for me to, you know, make a make a quick phone call and be talking with a professor or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I like the idea of having somebody in front of me, seeing who they are, what they're doing. And then most of the time they're here in St. Louis. And most of my listeners aren't actually from St. Louis, but the ones that are, mm-hmm. they all get to meet all these other cool people in St. Louis that they never met, didn't know anything about. And you see like, well, like you came up and started talking to me about the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right? dude. Like it's a great thing to be interconnecting, connecting dots, like to make your point earlier. Collect the dots, connect the dots. Yeah, dude. The, uh, how long have you been doing this? You're like really, you are really good at this, by the way. Oh, uh, you are the 21st interview. So, my uh, commitment has been I want to do one every week. I started in May and then I was like, I want to do one every week for the rest of the year. And each week I want to figure out a way what's like one thing I can do better. Mm-hmm. So it's great to hear you say that that you're enjoying this because like I didn't know what I was doing. I just started. Oh, dude, you're so good at it. Like the uh, I feel like I'm talking too much, but you like ask a question and let me finish and then ask another question or interject like some awesome experience of your own dude like it's it's a pretty uh natural back and forth dude we uh i mean i think this is because you're you're this is cool man i can't <laughs> we should have met like we should have been hanging out years and years and years Forever ago. ago you know how do you know how we actually did get connected it was when strange donut because i knew who you guys were but mm-hmm. you guys at some point started talking about bitcoin yes and so I got super into Bitcoin yes. and I wrote some articles about it and I put out some stuff and, and CNBC ran an article that I wrote about, uh, you know, Warren Buffett is wrong on Bitcoin. Yes. And then you guys said, we are going to sell donuts with Bitcoin. Right. And then me and my buddy Rob Long showed up at your donut shop just randomly on a Saturday morning and to to your employees credits, like they didn't know anything at all about bitcoin but they sat at that register checking other people out you know making everything else until we were able to buy a donut with bitcoin and it was awesome man it was it was like one of the first things i'd ever bought it was the second thing i ever bought with bitcoin and we were like it's really happening the future of digital distributed currencies is really happening what do you think about it now well, I had a guy on for a podcast that's going to air tomorrow, mm-hmm. so it a little already aired by the time we're on, that uh, he does not think it's going to work out. Mm. But uh, I I think he had some good points. It's it's really difficult to have the, the benefits of having a decentralized currency where everyone keeps a ledger, but there are downsides in that it's not easy to use and it takes a long time to transact. It can take 10 minutes for the payments to clear. But I'm a holdler. You know, I bought Bitcoin a long time ago. I made Bitcoin. I had some clients pay me in Bitcoin. And then uh, I just I just have them stored away. And I and I think if it works, great. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, it was the most... I mean, like, it easily paid for itself mm-hmm. in the amount of c- great conversations yeah. I've gotten to have because of it. I'll think about it. I mean, the people, like, to your point, the people that are going to the gym trying to improve themselves... The people in that like Bitcoin community that are like trying to get hyped about it are people that are pushing the envelope in other areas. Oh, that's of their life, a great point, right? Yeah, like you know, there's a big rush of people that are like, "Oh, I'm buying and selling Bitcoin and all this crap." After they see it come, but really, I mean, early on when we started doing that at Strange Donuts, dude, we got contacted like we're in like a news week or something in Berlin, right? Like donut shop and blah 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 that's my horrible <laughs> german accent dude but the uh you know selling bitcoin we had like bitcoin rallies and all the people dude were like 
young, energetic, optimistic people. And applying, this is the thing, like there were people, when I would go to some of the nicer places in St. Louis and I would talk with like the older, more established people, they'd be like, I don't get the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And they gave themselves permission to sound like idiots because they did not know what they were talking about. But in order to feel confident and secure and above the the guy that like me i was just starting out i didn't mm-hmm. really know they they would be like that's just such a piddly little thing and like you know did i make millions off of it no but i did pretty pretty well and frankly like if you didn't do it you missed out on years and years and years of thinking about money in a different way about meeting these people that are figuring out how to make mining rigs in their basement mm-hmm. and, and thinking about where does energy get produced and the quality of, of, uh, our current system. Like mm-hmm. it was great. So to me, I want, I hope that as I get older, I don't hit that point where I say like, ah, I know that I, th- those ideas yes. are dumb. You know, how do you keep yourself from becoming that where you, where you feel safe by blowing off all the new ideas? Ain't it crazy, dude? They're like, it's buggy whip. You know, I'm going to keep making these buggy whips <laughs> and like, like you old fat ass rich guy. Like, and again, dude, I love rich people. I hope, I hope my kids are rich kids. You know what I mean? I grew up like hating rich kids and I'm like walking the other night being like, man, you know what? I actually like, I hope my kids are rich. And like the things that I thought were bad about rich people really aren't like, that was just my prejudice. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like most of these people are great dudes, but like that guy, you know what I mean? That you're meeting at Napoli or whatever to talk about Bitcoin or whatever, or wherever it's happened to be going down. Like I, I went to some of those things, like your investment things. And, uh, I'm like, what are you doing with your time instead? Like, are you like reinforcing the stuff that you already think? Right. Yeah. Man, that sucks. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a great place to go is where do you get your news and ideas now? Like where, how are you making sure you aren't just shoved into a corner man i ask all the time and i question all the time like one in our business what are we doing right okay i'll give you like here's something dude that kind of screwed me and um, i also have a furniture company it's called bt furnishings we sell you know uh institutional furnishings all over the united states okay a lot of people don't know that about me but i've done it for 10 I didn't years know that, right yeah. So at one point it was like a big company, right? Like not big, it's a decent sized company. It's still a good sized company, right? And so here's what happened. So I made connections in China. We're getting furniture and stuff from China. There was a strike on some boats and when some of my stuff got held up at the at, in LA one time, right? So we have like containers and containers of furniture. I needed to, to land July 30th because I have to install it, you know, before August 11th, when the students come back, it's getting held up. Finally, my stuff gets um, freed up and, and the manufacturer says, hey, you know, that 50% that you owe us when it hits, instead of being 100,000 now is 225, you know, because oh. they, you know, and I'm like, I was like, well, screw you, keep it, right? And like, oh, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and I'm like, they're like, 100 is fine. I'm like, well, now it's 90 because I already found another supplier. You know what I mean? Like, screw you. But at that time, I was like, I'm never importing anything again, right? So we find suppliers in the United States. We manufacture our case goods in Indiana. And um, we get our leather goods from Chino, California. We manufacture mattresses in Iowa, right? We recycle our mattresses in in Chicago. And um a lot of these places, I mean, like success or like rigged success, you know, rigged success 
breeds laziness, right? Like if I know like, oh, I know that I can charge them whatever, you know, and they're going to buy it because they're hooked in this deal and because I've given them so many lunches or Cardinals tickets or whatever it is, right? And I'm speaking very broadly, you know what I mean? I don't engage in any of that stuff like, you know, pay to play or anything like that. But in a sense, every salesman does. Right. I'll just speak clearly about that. Like, well, sales are about relationships right. and that you're not a stranger to that. Idea. Right. So we start getting beat. What's to say there's like a $500,000 contract, right? My lumber costs on that is about $300,000, right? My per truck, I pay, you know, between 1800 to $2,500 for that to get from Indiana to wherever it's going in the country. Right. Um, I got to pay people to install that furniture, right? I got to pay some holding costs on some of that furniture. I have to pay financing for that furniture. At the end of the day, let's just say that my bid is $500,000, okay? We start getting hammered, dude, by, um, by our competition where we were just crushing all over the United States. And I start losing these $500,000 jobs by $200,000, you know, and it's like $300,000 installed and delivered. And I'm like, I'm $500,000 and I have to add install and delivery on top of that. Right. So we bring all the labor back in house and I'm like, okay, we're going to handle all the labor. We're not going to mark up any of our stuff. So now we're making, you know what I mean? A smaller and smaller margin. I'm like, man, what the hell is happening? You know? And we had it written into a lot of these contracts that they needed to be, you know, domestic products and a lot, you know, do like carbon footprint stuff, right? Like, my stuff is made here. We use our excess lumber to heat the warehouse. Literally, we do. All right. Wow. So, like, there's no, you know, in the in the summer, all these doors open, the breeze comes through, there's fans, there's no air conditioning, right? And it's workable. It's good. In the winter, you know, you have all this excess wood that's shortcut or dust, and you put it in a furnace, and it heats the warehouse, right? So, like, we're LEED certified, all this stuff. No one really gives a shit about that, right? <laughs> like when it they comes, want his price. When it comes down to it, dude, if they can buy it for three hundred thousand dollars, they're not paying five for it. And right. I'm like, I was so ignorant to that. There was this this product called rubber wood, right? So rubber wood, I'm like, rubber, come on, what are you doing with rubber wood? You know, like we got American oak, you know. And so I poo pooed this rubber wood for a long time, for a couple of years, dude. And I don't know how much money it costs me, right? Like a lot of money because I'm like, oh, these people will. Like those, that product is going to fail. You know what I mean? This year or next year. And they're going to come back and I'm going to say, see, I told you, you should have been going with us the whole time. American made, blah, 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 blah. Turns out, man. So I thought tariffs were going to help us. Right. So I relied on some tariffs. I was like, man, if their stuff is costing 20, 27% more, you know, then that more than makes up for our margin. I'm like, stay on this American Oak. Turns out, dude, Michelin owns a big part of Vietnam right? There's all these rubber wood forests. Now tires are made from synthetic rubber. They don't need rubber wood trees. They need to find another use for rubber. They need another use for rubber wood. Rubber wood grows. I don't remember. I'm sure somebody will look it up like 20, 50 times faster. Oh, you mean actual rubber trees, the, the cut them down, use that for the lumber. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, bro. So, What's that like? So here's all this you know, tens of thousands of acres of rubber wood trees, you know, rubber trees that, and they're probably really good at used. Yeah. And they're everywhere. So, Oh, that's why it's so cheap. So I'm going to Vietnam, right. Is is a short answer, but like I got fat and comfortable, you know, being like, 
sitting on my morals, really, like American-owned, American-farmed, American-made oak, you know? And I got so focused on that and, like, our superiority that I got blindsided, you know, by a product that on its face sounds inferior, rubber wood. Right. So what would you do differently Bitcoin. now? Bitcoin. What, what, yeah, right, right. right. But what, how, what do you know now that would keep you from being blindsided by rubber wood next time? Question everything. You think you're good? Check why. You know what I mean? I, I do that on all of our products now. I mean, everything that we manufacture. And it's not just, you know, how much does it cost? Um, but the uh, I eat. I negotiate and I'll tell you like anybody listening to this podcast, you probably already know this. You're probably already successful and smart. And the thing that'll like save you more money than, than any college or like make you more money or save you more money is five words. And I think like a lot of people are afraid of negotiation, but it's five words. Can you do any better? Right? Like you don't need to know much more about negotiation than that. Like that'll like give you a good start. And like, if you just have the balls to say, can you do any better? Right. So like I'm focusing, I'm going back to like our lumber suppliers being like, man, come on lumber. What's going on here? You know, are you, are you, you don't want my business. So I'm just like going back to the same well, instead of like taking a more broad, I should have known, I should have known if I was a true student of the industry, man, there's tens of thousands of acres of this wood that has no other use anymore. Maybe I can do something with that wood. Maybe I should have been on in Vietnam five years ago. You know what I mean? 10 years ago. If I was a true student, you know what I mean? Of it. So shame on me. So what I do now, people want vegan donuts. Yeah. Let me see how I can make those for you. You know? Oh, people want to pay with Bitcoin. Let me see how I can do that for you. Let me go learn about that. You know? <laughs> and instead of like following trends, try to set them. You know, and that's hard to do, but people, I mean, imagine like you're so hyped about Bitcoin, right? And if I am like, yeah, dude, I'll take that, you know, like, now why I'm, would I'm you go, tell everybody? Why right? would you go? Yeah. You're going right. to write, you're going to write about us, right? Right. hundred <laughs> percent. You're going to be on the news. So that's what I try to do now is question everything. You think you're good. And maybe that's why I'm not satisfied. Cause I look at stuff now and I'm like, man, that was cool. How could we have done better? You know, you know, it's, you're making me think that I should get together a, a club for, and I, I mean this genuinely, mm -hmm. like a club for dissatisfied, successful people, because <laughs> like uh, there's something going on with the psyche of a person. I, I think that it, so, you know, I, I, when I, I I went to Northern California, I was in the Peace Corps, and I ended up getting knocked out early. I got sick and I had to come home early. It was like one of the most devastating things in my mm -hmm. life. I end up you going, still regret it. Well, I mean, I there was, I don't know what I could have done differently right. in order to stay. But yeah. it was like, you know, I'd wanted to be this Peace Corps volunteer. I'd wanted to live mm -hmm. way out in the middle of nowhere. This happens, so I end up coming back. And my buddy Court, just like you had a, a good buddy, he was like, "Hey, you're coming back. That's fine. I just bought a boat, and and by the way, now I'm single because my girlfriend <laughs> broke up with me. And it was this old wooden yacht that had had a fire on it. So we boarded it up. We patched it. We went to way northern california i had literally no money mm -hmm. like nothing and mm -hmm. there was no one that was coming for me mm -hmm. and so i ended up walking up and down the docks because i was in this fishing village where we're trying to restore the ship the ship's not making any money when we're restoring it so mm -hmm. i gotta have money coming in some other way so i walk up and down i'm like i'll do any work for you 
that you let me do? Mm-hmm. Is it repair nets? Is it, you know, go out crab, I'll scrub your decks, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's something, there's a difference that happens when you get to the point where there's no other choice and it happens to you psychologically where you're like, now I'll do anything it takes to be, to, to be successful. But the problem is once something like that switches in you, I think it is hard to feel satisfied. I think when you do end up reaching Mm -hmm. ever higher levels, you start looking around being like, well, my old victories aren't enough. I need to do something else. And I think that it's probably good to bring together all the people that I know that have reached success, but are getting bored, but but that's because they don't know what they want to do next. Mm-hmm. So I I think I'm going to do that. I think, gonna, I think I'm going to have a party. Do it, dude. I'll come. There's this thing that I was talking about, like that I did come up with this divine discontent, right? And I think that there's like, I think about this a lot, right? I kind of trip out and I'll think like, man, there was a dude that was like living in a cave, you know what I mean? That found the cave and said, this is tight. You know, like, have you ever seen mankind, the story of us all? Uh-uh. Dude, you got to watch it. They talk about like mankind, the story of it all. <laughs> but it's like, where do we come from, right? And I'm like tripping off it. Like I was like, man, people would like be in these caves and be like, man, there's got to be something better than this, you know? But like the cave was way better than fighting out in the ice, you know? Yeah. But like, oh, we made homes. Divine know? discontent. Yeah, that so is like a very good. I think there's something that gets into certain people. And these people, be, like Elon Musk, right? Where he's like, fuck this, man. Like, that's not a car. You know what I mean? Like, that's cool. But, like, I'm not happy with that. You know, here's a rocket that shoots people into space. Man, how can we do that better? We're, you know, like, and. Uh, you know, that's a good example of. I was astounded. When I found out that he launched a fucking car. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Into into outer space. Yes. And then there were people being like, that's wasteful or, oh, is that stupid or whatever. I'm like, how in the world can you see anything other than awe in this situation? Right. Anything other than, oh, my God, we should be grateful that people like that exist. Even if that car has nothing to do with, you know, people were like, he could have given that car to somebody else. But he Which did. He gave bold. it to humanity. <laughs> Dude. And that's the thing that I'm saying. When people say that, like, like, and I used to say that shit when I was a poor hater, you know what I mean? Was like, oh man, you like, you bought that car. Like how many people could you have fed with that money? You know? Well, yeah, I fed the, like the salesman and his family. I fed, you know what I mean? The, the, the guy, the porter, you know what I mean? Who could work at a dealership because I bought this car from there. Um, I fed the people that are going to service this car. And then beyond that, dude, like, and right now, whatever, I have a, like a old Honda Odyssey minivan out there. It's a bucket dude, but I love it. I bought it for like 1100 bucks. So I was like, it's just crazy to me that I'm like, I can have this car. I bought this thing for $1,100. I like literally have shoes that cost more than that. And I'm like, I can take this thing all like it'll take me anywhere I want to go. This is awesome. <laughs> I love. I have an old Honda Odyssey. I love it, dude. But the, uh, but like beyond that, like I've had some badass cars, right? And like, there's nothing like when a kid. I mean, especially me. Like, I see. That's one of the reasons I bought. I bought this watch, right? I bought this watch. I'm proud of this watch. I always wanted one of these. And I felt so guilty when I bought it, you know, I'm like, man, and I lied about, I'm like, oh, somebody lent it to me. You know what I mean? When somebody asked me about it, I'm like, oh, it's my buddies for a photo shoot or whatever. Right. My cousin who, whatever, grew up just like me, he saw, 
he saw my watch and he was like, is that a Rolex? I was like, yeah, dude. And he was like, is that, you know, was that $15,000? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, man, I know you worked so hard for that. I would have cried, dude. <laughs> but he was like, the like hope that that gave him, right? Because he saw me, you know, and what I did. And he knows the work. He doesn't see that I'm wearing $15,000 on my wrist. And man, why didn't I give him that money? He sees, oh my God, I can do that. That's possible. Now. Yeah, an emblem of hard The work. four minute mile, yeah. dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like that. And so- I don't, I don't like hide that stuff anymore. You know what I mean? There's like some, I'm like, here's my story, you know? Yeah. I was a piece of shit. You know what I mean? And like, I don't hide. I'm like, yeah, here's my beautiful house. Here's my like expensive ass art, you know? And like, here's like, uh, here's me like here. How can I, I'm not Elon Musk. You know what I mean? I don't have a car to shoot into space yet, but like I have like different cars that, you know, like I have, I have those things. I can't do that yet now, but how can I make that happen for people with what I have now? I, I, um, remember. So when I got done working on the ship, I bought a house with my friend court, the guy mm-hmm. that told me that he bought a ship and his girlfriend dumped him. Yeah. Um, he and I bought a house and we're going to renovate it and sell it. And mm-hmm. so he put in all the equity and I put in sweat equity. Yeah. And I remember when I would walk between where I was living and the house that we were working on, I would pass by all these restaurants. And in my mind, I was always like, those stupid idiots are wasting all that money. They don't even know what real money's about. you know. And I'd go and I'd work all day and I'd walk past and I'd say it again. And I remember one of the first times that I ever went out to a nice restaurant was like after I got married Mm -hmm. and I'm out with my wife and we're having a really nice dinner. And my wife is the hardest working, like she became an aerospace engineer and, you know, tried out for the Olympics. So she has been hardworking and, and was able to go out to dinners, you know, that was not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. And I remember almost like tearing up being like, you can order whatever you want. And I, I can, I can pay for it. I can pay for that. And like, that being such an amazing feeling, what you know, you were talking about your kids growing up and you, you're okay with them being rich, but the thing that made you hard enough to be able to do the things that you're doing, mm-hmm. will your kids have exposure to things that will make them hard enough to, to face the world when things get tough? So I talk with my kids now about everything. I have a four-year-old and three-year-old, right? My son just broke his arms playing at the park and like, he's a hard charging little kid. Right. And I encourage that in him. And like, um, I, some of the, I don't know if I'm doing it wrong. You know what I'm saying? We'll find out 20 years from now when I look back and I'm probably see all the stuff that I'm doing wrong right now. <clears throat> but I think that like some of the stuff that, you know, I'm not a victim of my family or where I grew up or any of that. Right. I don't, I just choose not to be. But some of that stuff can wasn't the best. I'll say that. My son broke his arms. I loved him. Picked him up. Talked to him. And then I we went. I didn't make him go back to the park. Right? But we went back to the park very soon after that where he broke his arms and did it again. Right. And so I try to tell him now, and I don't, he doesn't understand it. 
because he'll talk about like he's done judo, right? Like would take him to do judo classes or he's a big kid. Is he too. doing judo or jujitsu? Uh, he was doing some judo and then, but we landed on jujitsu, right? And so he, um, he's doing jujitsu and he's like, I don't want to go. I'm afraid I have videos of it. You know, he's like, I'm afraid. And he wouldn't let me take my arms from around him. And I'm sitting there and I'm like questioning it, you know, like, man, should he be in here? And I'm like freaking my kid out. Am I making him do this stuff? And I'd, he'd sit on my lap. I'd go to take my arms off of him and he'd grab my arms and make me hug him again and make him feel safe, you know? And he, uh, I just said after that, I said, you know, it's okay that you're afraid, you know, it's okay that you're afraid. Everyone's afraid, you know, but what is not okay in this family is to keep, you know, like the fear from you acting and trying. Right. And so I try to instill that in him in a, in a, in a safe way, in a loving way, rather than like the way I grew up where it was like. You're afraid because it's dangerous as fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, like, man, I was afraid. I was afraid every time I fought. You know what I mean? I was afraid every anytime any of that crap happened. I'm terrified. And you learn to react. You know what I mean? If you're afraid, you better make somebody terrified quick. You know what I mean? Before it gets out of control. I hope he doesn't have that, you know, that, like, reactionary fear, you know, or violence or whatever. But I won't... Um, he works, you know, like, like he contributes. And, um, I hope that he, what I hope that he has, or I hope that what I'm able to give him is the support and the love and the means to do the stuff that he wants to do to face his fears. Right. Yeah, man. And so I, I, if it, you know, if we go broke, you know, if I lose everything and, and, uh, you know, I risked it all and did it wrong, like, I know we'll be okay that way too, you know, but what I, and so I, I encourage my son and well, I was putting him in the, uh, and some of the stuff is whatever. I don't care. This is the stuff people probably don't talk about. But like, you know, I got like hit when I was a kid, like bad. I remember like, and I don't know, like I can, I'm going to tie all this back in. We, I came here to talk about turnover. Right. Yeah. And so I'm going to like, I want to talk about all this stuff and like how it relates to that. Right. So here's a story that's real sad from when I was a kid. I used to sit in this little spot and um, I don't know who will hear this, but like, and I don't want to talk too much about my family. Like my mom still lives here and I don't want to like embarrass her or anything, but it just, she had some problems. I'll just leave it at that. I'm sitting on this couch and I used to, oh, thank you, dude. I used to sit in this little spot where I felt like comfortable and safe. And I, I would sit on the edge of this couch and I'd have my feet up against this little bookcase thing. And that was just where I happened to fit. And um, you have good books here, dude. <laughs> You'd like that. Only an, Al- uh, only an Irish boy. Horatio <laughs> Alger. You'd like that. I'll get it. No, I'll, 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 you can borrow that one. I'll read it. Is it nonfiction? Yeah. It's a, it's Horatio Alger came up as an orphan. He wrote all these books about like how to how to be the right kind of kid. <laughs> They're great books. I'll read it. My buddy Travis gave me that book. Right on. I'll give it back to you. I'll read it. I will. The um, I'm sitting in this spot. My feet break through this glass, right? This is where I always always just sit. My feet break through this glass where I would like wedge myself into. I was a little kid, dude. I was like, I was younger than my son is now. My feet went through the glass, cuts my legs, and like we didn't have shit, you know what I mean? And I broke the bookcase that was nice, right? And so I'm like, my parents are both hitting me. And I remember thinking like, I'm like, my legs are bleeding, you know? Like, hug me, you know what I mean? Like, I'm hurt, 
and what they were they were like and i understand where they came from too like man this is like we don't have shit and you just broke the thing that we have i can understand them being upset but now wow man right that that is an understanding person that's that's deep i try to it's taken probably a while to get there dude but i um i um now now that i have a kid you know and like i i I put him in his car seat the other day his i don't know not the other day maybe it was six months ago he punched me in my forehead like i went i leaned over to buckle him and he bow and he like knows how to punch so he like turned his wrist and everything and hit me in my forehead and i like backed up i looked at him for a second and my instinct was to smack him you know and um and i was like my first thought was he doesn't know why he did that. You know, he just like smiled at me. He like did it and then smiled at me. And I was like, good punch buddy. Right. I was like, that was good. We don't punch our friends and family in the face. You know, if we want to wrestle, like this is off limits, you know, the head and face is, is off limits, which might be a Hoosier way to teach your kids. No dude, that is like Piaget. Like you nailed it. It's really kids are always trying to find out how can I exert my strength? What are the boundaries? Mm. And if you pop back at them and make them frightened, now you've just pushed them and said, uh, you know, don't be that strong, be like this. But you were able to have presence of mind to say, good strength, apply in a different way. That's, mm-hmm. that, dude, that is child psychology. <laughs> you, you just hit a 10. Just hit a 10. <laughs> well, thanks, dude. And that's, that's, so I try to teach him that way, right? And the, um, and see where, you know, and I like where we can grow and nothing that he does is wrong. Not nothing. Let me say that again. There's context for everything, right? He's a little kid. He's discovering his dick. You know what I mean? Like he wants to pull it out. I'm like, that's fine at the house. Like that's for the family. You can't show that to other people, you know? He'll like hear me say crazy stuff, you know what I mean? Which I, you know, and I don't like try to get to. I like try to temper myself around him, right? Like I'm usually like pretty high strung and like scream right. and get crazy. And like for the first couple of years of his life, I was like <sighs> calm around him, you know what I mean? And I would like, I would. This is I, I, I could talk to you forever, dude. I would, we can do this as many times as we want. I, I know I, you said you had to go in a little bit, but I, I've I've got you on the oh, time. We're, we're good, thanks, okay. dude. I would stack stuff up on his head in the shower. Right. Like, so we'd stand, we'd stay to the shower and I'd be like, okay, now we got to get real still. And I'd stack a shower, you know, a shampoo cap on his head. And then like a, and then eventually from the shampoo cap, he could like focus for a minute and like still and keep focus on something outside of himself. Right. So that he could be calm. And I'd like, you know, we eventually end up putting like a little, you know, shampoo bottles on his head and stuff like that. I'm like, man, this is so weird. But like the stuff that is important to me now is like being able to like calm down, being able to turn on the animal. You know what I'm saying? When like I couldn't turn it off before, you know, of like, you know, I'd get to where I want to be, but everything around me would be smashed. Have you have you heard of uh, like Jungian psychology, Carl Jung? Carl Jung, yeah, yeah dude. Integrating his shadow, like that's the concept of you are not a full person, particularly a man in particular, until you know what you're capable of doing, mm-hmm. but then don't do it. Yeah, dude. Because once you know, like, the, the, you know, it's no virtue to be weak and not fight. You can't fight, you know, a rabbit mm-hmm. doesn't, isn't a virtuous thing because it doesn't fight, right? It's, 
do you have the capacity in you to know how to exert your will over something like your child, for mm-hmm. example, but then decide, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because that's not actually the way that I want to be. Then that that's a, that's the, the full manifestation of, of being human. You're doing that stuff now. That's what I just realized is you're doing that right now, dude. You could have guided this thing wherever you wanted to go for you. Right. And we've gone all over the place. And you're like, that's what I'm saying. I was like, I haven't realized why you're good at this until just now you said that. This is a blast, man. I'm I'm I I'm so uh deeply moved at how open you've been. And, well, thanks, and dude. like I, I feel like every time I ask you a question you know, I, I have a, a friend um who uh, I'll, I'll invite him on the podcast sometime is a guy, his name is Jared Holst. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's, he's like, he's so smart that it's intimidating. It's like, you know, we start talking about China and I think I know a lot about it and he knows so much more than I do. And so, you know, I, maybe that's what's kept me from inviting him on the podcast. But one time I asked him, you know, Hey, what, what do you think of the podcast? And he was telling me, and then he said, what do you think you learned from that interview? Mm-hmm. And I realized that, that I had done an interview where I hadn't asked questions that I didn't already know the answer to. And so after talking to Jared, I came to the realization that the podcasts are a lot more interesting. Not if I'm like, hey, I know this interesting thing that this person knows, so I'm going to find a way to bring it out in them. Mm -hmm. But instead, I ask questions that I genuinely don't know Mm -hmm. what you're going to say. And you have been a rare guest that like, literally, I have no idea (laughs) what you're going to say. It's tight. Well, that's you, dude. I mean, most of these things, when I do like, because I get asked to speak at colleges or all this crap all the time, and it's always like, how did you start strange? donuts you know what i mean and i'm like all right here we go you know what i mean it's like the same softball questions dude this has been tight so like maybe an open as a tribute to you but so to to uh conclude i do want to wrap it all the way back to that yes. that two percent yes right like you probably don't get a chance to see your employees all the time you probably have lifted to an area where they don't always get direct access mm-hmm. to this person that's become larger than life mm-hmm. here in st louis and and internationally what do you hope that all of them knows about the business that they're working in? One, I think that I know that they know is that one, I love them, right? I love them. And if I can't provide something for them that they, that I will find a way to do some kind of substitute for that or that they are encouraged to go somewhere else and I, there will be no hard feelings. I will be a champion for them to, you know, vouch for them on their next level or whatever. Right. I know that they know, I know that they know they work for a dude that, uh, and I never say work for, but that's the reality of it. They work for someone that genuinely cares about them and is a giver, not a taker. Right. I posted something the other day, dude, it was like, we're open on labor day. Right. As a picture of like a, a, a Labrador, laying brick right and uh where i'm like we're laboring <laughs> hard to be open for you tomorrow that's right? clever and the truth is like yeah there's like some physical hard work that goes into baking right <clears throat> and somebody said on there you know i'll just read it dude i'll read this stuff so this post on instagram if you guys want to look it up you can find us follow it strange donuts is that you? Are you the one that runs the streams yeah. doing it on Instagram? Which I need to stop. I think I need to like have somebody else be doing this. Do you? Why? Um. So. Well, here, I, read, I read that. Read that comment. Well, I can't. So, um, 
I don't think I have like one X down here as far as. Oh yeah, I get terrible signal down yeah. here. It's it's like a but, concrete bunker. So the um, what's the gist of it? So the gist of it, they're like, oh, uh, like like uh, if you really respected your employees, you'd be closed and like you know celebrate the holiday. And then I just was like, you know what, man, I'm not going to engage this person, you know. And then somebody else said something. Actually, somebody who like works with us. Oh, right. Said, um, hey, instead of like accusing him of some stuff, why don't you ask why we're open? Reality is, dude, as I say, do you guys want to work? And they all said yes. Right. That is the perfect example of you carry water for other people, they'll carry it for you. Man. Hey, why don't you ask? You know, yeah. what I mean? <laughs> why don't you ask? Yeah. Why don't you be a why person instead of like what? You know, what I mean, what's wrong with you? Like, be like, why, man? Why are you doing this? And so, somebody that works for me was like, "Hey, dude, we want to be here," you know, and and I end up saying like, I end up responding to the person, you know, saying like, uh, "Want next time you're in, why don't you ask?" You know what I mean? If, if you can ask anybody at strange donuts, you know, do they feel uh, respected and supported? And so I think that this, all this stuff leads into 2% turnover, right? Square is in St. Louis now, right? They're hiring people. I don't want to say with low standards because everybody there is like, it's cool people, awesome people, whatever. Right. But like, it's not like you need some coding degree to work there, right? Paying well, paid lunches, paid insurance, stock options, all this stuff, right? There's a bunch of competition. When you hear it on the news all the time, like, man, why, uh, you know, good luck hiring, you know, there's a labor shortage. Dude, I couldn't tell you how many times a week I get DMs. Or emails saying, hey, can I work with you? Can I work for you? That's fantastic. Right? And so what makes that happen? What makes people stay? So let's just say that on average people are making at Strange Donuts between $12 to $18 an hour. Right? Some of the people in certain circumstances, I can't afford to pay. I can't afford to have health care for everybody. Right? Um. So, but like I'll pay, I'm like, I give them my credit card and when they fill out their Obamacare application, they put in my credit card. Right. So I pay for their Obamacare. Right. And so I I don't have health insurance at my place of business. You know, it's not for a lack of trying, but no one wants to pay the half when the half is three 30. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm like, I'll pay your $80, your $120, whatever it is, you know? So it's not money. Right. Cause the people that I that work with me are very talented and could go do a number of things. We have some musicians that work for us that are insane, dude. We have, you know, um, content writers and copywriters and, and programmers and um, uh, artists that work for us that could go, you know, and do go do crazy stuff. There's a guy that was doing our videos. I was like, man, why don't you like do like I see him doing these little weird videos. I'm like, dude, why don't you make videos for us? I'll pay you X amount of money a month, dude. And I'm, I want you on retainer. I want to like, give me like three things a month, right? Six months into this thing, a huge advertising agency in St. Louis is like, Hey, we want you to be director of TV commercial. Right. <laughs> wow. And so he's like, dude, I got to like do this and I'm sorry. And he's upset. 
He was and upset. You're like, I just helped you. Like I'm I was so like, happy. dude, I am so happy for yeah. you. Go do that. Yeah. And guess what he says, dude? When he sees talented people having a hard time getting work, he's like, dude, you need to go work with Jason at Strange Donuts. People are so it's backwards thinking to wrangle your employees and not let them get offers from other places. Like build people up, right? Like I talk with my employees about these things. Like, you know, some of it, maybe I shouldn't, or some of it, maybe this will bite me. You know what I mean? But like, I talk about, uh, uh, abortion, you know what I mean? What do you think about that? You know, like it's mostly women. We have mostly women that work with us, right? There's some trans people. There's, there's a bunch of LGB people. There's like, like it's people from all over. Right. And like, and like, it's from all over the spectrum. Right. And I'm like, Hey, what makes, what do you think about this? You know what I did, dude? We had a, we had a photo shoot. This happened. So there was these, uh, this photographer that was like famous, whatever. And then he was, they, then there was these girls that wanted to do a photo shoot in strange donuts. And they said, Hey, can we do, can we use your store to do a photo shoot? We've had rap videos shot at in, in strange donuts. <laughs> we had all kinds of crap happen, dude. It's tight. And so, um, there was a, uh, this, I'm like, Hey, there's going to be a photo shoot there tonight. The store closes at midnight. These people are going to come at 11. I told them to be there, you know, me for an hour. Right. So when you're leaving, they'll be, they'll be leaving. I go in the next day or two days later and this girl who hadn't worked there long, not a girl, they, them, whatever she says, uh, he, they said, I'm still getting used to that. Right. The, uh, they said, Hey, next time I got to be here till three in the morning, just let me know. Cause I was up real late and I needed to get up early in the morning and my like shot back. Like my knee jerk was like, I was like, Oh, you were here. till three, then the store should have been cleaner. You know, is what I said to them. And they're like shrunk down. Right. I bullied this person. Yeah. Your shadow came out. Boom. So I'm like, we had a meeting the next week an all staff meeting. We do it once a month. And I said, Hey, I've been under a bunch of stress. We opened these two stores like real close to each other. Stuff is tight. I had a surgery, right? That was like a big deal. My father-in-law passed away, put my dog down. Right. Like I was like, I was dealing with a bunch of stuff personally. And I need to say in front of everyone, Mac, I responded to you poorly. This is what I said. And I was wrong for that. I'm sorry. Right. And I was like afraid that they were going to take this as leverage, right. To, to shame me or, you know, and I think a lot of leaders don't want to be vulnerable with their people because they will appear to be out of control. Right. The response was, wow, that's some real ownership. It's all good. I get it. And then Everybody else in the room was like, I've done this lately and sorry, everyone. Wow. Right. So boom. So we create this culture that no one's perfect. Right. Like, and I don't expect anybody to be perfect. We'll hire somebody. They'll show up late and they're like, I am so sorry. I did. You know, they're like falling on their sword. I'm like, dude, I already forgave you. It's all good. Let's, let's get to work. 
you know, is do we have this jelly hopper? A jelly hopper is something that fills the, the donuts with jelly. If you've never seen it, it's pretty cool. Google it. It's called a, a Ed Hard Jelly Hopper. If you've ever, I always wondered how jelly gets into donuts, right? There's, this, I'd love to come down and see that. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'd love to. You stab, you stab the donuts with these cylinders, and you step on or press a button, and it injects a preset amount of jelly into the donut. Because this company had a patent on this thing for like forever, these things were like twenty five, three hundred, three thousand dollars, right, to put jelly into a donut. And then there's all these things that go on top of them. Just the motors, three grand, and the um. This dude dropped it. He felt so bad. We fixed it. I'm like, it's all good. Whatever. We do this. I can't afford to pay people $25, $35 an hour. You know, I can't afford to pay people right now 45 grand a year. I can't afford to pay people. And I <clears throat> I want to pay. I genuinely want, I want everybody at Strange Donuts to be able to afford anything they want. And that means monetarily, time-wise, culturally i want them to be able to do anything they want i cannot do that right now right monetarily when people show interest so we when you work there for a year you get a week's paid vacation right whoa right so that's kind of weird for a donut shop yeah a week's paid vacation yeah so we give everybody a week's paid vacation we do this for this reason it's called recreation recreation is two words meaning to recreate yourself right through fun you do the same thing you answer the same question 500 times a day what makes your donut so strange you know everybody comes in and says that and sometimes i'm like that's just the owner's name dude you know strange is the owner's name like you know (laughs) and the uh i'll say that and the uh but i'm like you know you do these repetitive things again and again and again and again you become a master of that thing you know what i mean but man it wears you down so like you have to take you it's not like you cash in your vacation time and you keep working you have to leave and we have to pay you when you have two years you get a week's paid vacation and we pay for your vacation right so the way we pay for your vacation is i have a credit card that i get points on i try to get everything we buy on this credit card we get hundreds of thousands of millions of points right and so i'm like where do you want to go you're about to be working here two years thank you so much you get a week's paid vacation and we're gonna so like i want to go to vegas i've never been to vegas 21 year old dude right i want to go to vegas i'm like boom dude here's your hotel here's your wow plane t- here's your plane that ticket. has to be so mind-blowing it's, it's nuts right great. they're like yeah. oh shit here's your vacation here's your hotel here's your um here's your uh plane ticket and here's some money right and go if you go to this restaurant Right, like Lotus of Siam. Siam. If you're in Vegas, go there. Holy shit, Lotus of Siam. I'm going there this weekend. I'm going to Vegas. Lotus of Siam. Talk. All right, go, bro. All right, fire. Get these prawns. Anyways, I'm like, if you go here, dude, call me when you're there, and I kind of, I'm gonna call them. I'm gonna pay for your meal, right? And so we do that stuff, right? It's like, so I can't. So and then, but more than that, I think like people feel supported. Hey, man, I really need this day off. No sweat. I'll come in and do it, and they know. I will do any job there and I won't ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do. I can make the best donuts myself with my hands. I'll make jelly that will blow your mind. We make everything from scratch, right? I can do that probably better than anybody that works there, right? And they know, man, Jason will get in here and work like 18 hours straight. And won't complain, you know, and we'll get it, dude, and make us look slow. (laughs) 
And so, but when, rather than rubbing their faces in it, never. Yeah. What I do is I'm like, Hey man, this is how I do this. You might have a different way to do it, but this is how I do it. You know, and if you can learn from this, that's cool. So one is supporting your people. Don't be that Coke dude. Don't be that guy. You know what I mean? Like, like that's not a, that's not a, a, a baker. That's a person, you know, that's a person whose dog might've died. That's a person who might be going through a breakup. That's a person who, you know, might be short on their rent. You know, that's a person who genuinely wants to do the best they can for a company they feel, um, beholden to, and they don't know how to act that out, you know? So I don't need to, you know, reprimand people. We don't scream in our kitchen, you know, where like most of these places that are like high tense, you see it on like, I mean, Gordon Ramsay screaming at people, demeaning people. And for some people that might bring the best out of them, but that's a fraction of people that that really gets you to work for them. Really those people you scream at most people, dude. And um, the only ones that survive are the ones that are, you know, that uh, that's going to predispose. It's going to select out all the qualities that are going to make somebody really good at dealing with other people and select for Boom. The, the harshest traits. That's it, dude. So the, the customer is always right. The employee is always right more often, right? My employee, my employees, the people that I work with, I genuinely care for them and get to know them. They all have my phone number. We all talk. They come up with ideas. We look at the ideas. Some of them get to the, to the, to the menu. I talk about them at length, right? I tag them in Instagram stuff. I try to make them, you know, I do staff meals. And when my employees go places, their meals are paid for, right? Like, go to wherever, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you work at Strange Donuts. Like, here, let us get your meal for you, right? Oh, that's amazing. Like, they tell me all the time, dude. And that's that's because, like, uh, they're good people, right? And, like, the things that, like, I've, like, tried to cultivate and put into um, our culture is that culture of, like, helpfulness, right? So, like, you go, I mean, I, there was a restaurant here lately that was short-staffed. It was slammed slammed right and there's like a dude in the back my people just like were like hey we're getting back here and helping like no not, not asking like do you need some help they know what they're doing they know what they're doing dude we have a girl that works for us dude that was a trainer she trained for the four seasons so the bakers that bake at the four seasons were trained by the girl who heads our kitchen wow right she was worked to her finger bones, you know what I'm saying? Rode hard and screamed at when she didn't perform. Works for us, dude. And I'm like, like, uh, it's chill and you're respected. And dude, nothing make you know what? That that is the best story, probably because it is the the rich you know you know you were talking about being a poor kid thinking about who rich people were and you think about what is behind the curtain to make the 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 four seasons the you know the preeminent service experience and you think about you grew up started a company and you went and hired their best people <laughs> and you, and you and you and you made a home for them where they wanted to be and they were proud of mm-hmm. 
that's the fucking sweetest story I have ever heard. Oh, that's that, crazy. that is great, man. I I uh, I'm I'm a Swiss watch, and I know you told me get you it. had to get out of here. I cannot express how grateful I am that you came by to do this, and I hope you will come by and do it again. You of have course, an open dude. invitation, and uh, if people wanted to uh, carry water. For strange donuts, uh, or for you, what, what what could they do? Where where should they go to follow you to spend more time yeah. with you? How should that work? Everything is at Strange Donuts. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can DM me. I handle the the social media. So if you send a message, you're talking to Jason. And um, so anything. I mean, we have a store on Strange Donuts. Um, we fran we're franchising, right? So if people want to bring a Strange Donut to their city. Um, we'll do that. So there's information there, but really, man, I think, um, this is what you can do for us is give institutions a break, right? So you go out to eat sometime and your eggs came out cold. Don't get on Yelp and talk about the eggs being cold, right? Like go ask somebody there like, Hey man, my eggs are cold. And, um, see if uh, there was something that maybe went wrong. And I'm sure that those people will be more than happy to make the problem better. I think that we just need to uh, be nicer to each other, man. And uh, I think that people think that Strange Donuts, because of the way we present ourselves, it's a massive company. And I'm not saying this is about us, right? I know now the dude who runs like the twitter for anheuser-busch right and you when you like talk shit about anheuser-busch he's the guy that gets it he's the guy that gets it yeah i was just talking about that today with another friend of mine and it doesn't matter if it's that's a real like, person that's a that's a person man yeah, that's paying his rent and 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 helping his family out by by taking your shit that is putting so much energy into creating the best thing they can and man, like, I just know this, then this is what you could do for strange donuts is if you're going to send a message, send a happy one, right? Like if you need to like complain on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Yelp or any of that stuff, dude, like that's cool. Make sure that on the other hand, you're taking as much time to praise people because that's a real person that's getting that. That's awesome, man. Cool. Thank you so much, yeah. Jason, for Thanks, coming man. by. This Thanks, dude. Well, that's going to do it for this week's interview. Thank you so much to Jason Bachman of Strange Donut. If you get a chance, head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow those two accounts, uh, the Strange Donut accounts, and let them know that you heard about them on the Vance Crow podcast. Actually, that's uh, something I wanted to ask about. I am watching the downloads continue to ratchet up. That has been an incredibly humbling experience. Um, and I, I want to ask you that if you really like this podcast, then do one of two things. Either go on iTunes or your Google Play and rate it and give it a review and tell other people so that the algorithm can see that this is a podcast that you are hearing interesting and intelligent things that you want to share with more people. Or if that's not your thing, you don't want to go do a review, then just bring a friend. Just go tell one person about this that you think, hey, this person of all the friends that I have, they will really appreciate this podcast. Uh, send it to them, give it, make it so it's easy for them to listen to, let them know why it is that you wanted them to listen, why you 
you thought of them. Uh, that would mean a lot to me. You know, my dad used to have a plaque on his wall when he was a country stockbroker, and it said, the greatest compliment that someone can give me is the referral of a friend. And uh, I think that's really true. And so I'm grateful to any of you that have been sharing this on social media, writing reviews. And if you haven't done any of those things and they aren't your cup of tea, then just bring a friend and uh, we'll start having conversations with more and more of our friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to remind you that if you're interested in the Collegiate Farm Bureau Convention Conference going on October 11th through the 13th, check it out on my website or in the show notes. We would love it, love it, love it if not only you could come, but if uh, if you're not of college age, maybe you can help sponsor and get a kid there. Let them know that it's going on. Let your Farm Bureau know that it's going on and uh, get as many kids there as you can because I think it's going to be a great conference. That's it for now. We'll be back on Friday with a bonus episode. Thanks so much.